Hi, I'm Frida Wolf, and you're listening to the Sound Architect Podcast. You are indeed, and I am Sam Hughes, and I'm joined by the wonderfully talented voice artist Frida Wolf. Thanks for joining us again, Frida. How are you? Voice artist, you make it sound so much more esoteric. <laughs> That's the and, idea, right? And yeah. frivolous <laughs> than just acting. Voice well, artist. I'm going to start saying that now instead of when I show up at jobs and say, "Hey, I'm the talent." Just be like, "Hey, I'm the artist for today." Well, the talent sounds pretty cool as well. No, the talent is a very derisive and put down word in Hollywood because like the talent, the talent's at the bottom of the totem pole. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> on any production. <sighs> When's the talent gang here? <laughs> yeah, because the, because the idea is everyone else is doing the real work. Oh, right. Okay. So no one like, takes the talent seriously. They're just no, going to turn the up and do a, what they do. The, no, the talent's a big baby that needs to be put down to naps. <laughs> Or told awesome. when to show up. It's like, like the talent is the child of the production. It doesn't matter if you're doing it on camera. Not that I've experienced it on camera. Or if you're in VO, everyone else worked really hard and set up and got together and went through producers and then budgeting. You just had to show up on time. That's your one job. Your one job is could you show up on time, do the job. That's it. Is it surprising how many people still don't manage to turn up on time? Yeah. I So prior to this year, I was commuting to L.A. from... Irvine in Orange County and so for anybody who doesn't know what that is in in America we drive vast distances in a short <laughs> yeah. time due to lack of public transit so I was living 60 miles away and I was doing uh, at least 120 miles round trip each day if I had multiple jobs more so I was losing oh, wow. four to six hours of my life at least a day in traffic just to do jobs and I still showed up mostly on time um, and my agents were like, yeah, there are people who live here who can't be bothered. So good job. Yeah. But well, I live here now, so it's fine. Well, that must help. And uh, I forget, you know, that in the UK, the, the maximum we drive to like really anywhere is not even half of what you could drive in America to get barely anywhere. <laughs> oh, no, we can fit all of you inside of like a Carolina, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's crazy. You guys drive like 20 hours in like not one sitting, but, you know, with stops and stuff yeah well like we just we have a different culture i think like you get car culture is a bit different um so like i used to be i used to be when you when you do a lot of short distances and you you live close to home yeah um the radio or whatever your mp3s are or your bluetooth thing or you make a phone call whatever it's fine but i started getting into more commuter culture like people who have long train rides or whatever and listen to podcasts or whatever. So yeah. I've been doing audiobooks through Audible since I started this job when I was driving and I still keep it up. It's the only way I get through like laundry and dishes. No, yeah, it's really good for when you're doing really menial tasks as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um which is funny because with audiobooks, those are also people who also do my job. Yeah. So half the time I'm listening, half the time I'm judging. Well do you do audiobooks at all? No, because it's very difficult to make money in it. Oh, really? Especially if you're not a name. It is uh, the the audiobooks are in a free market that is that is outside of the SAG after contracts. It's not really that well regulated. I think it's like technically non union. Right. Um, okay. So you you have to set and negotiate your own prices. Um, and because the internet is an open market, has really just driven everything down to the bottom. I mean, you've got like freaking websites like fiverr which is absolute garbage which is oh, like God, for five dollars yeah. artists will do anything like it's prostitution 
in a refugee camp. I mean, it was like the, it's just everything is, is struggling to pull up from there when people are offering them for so little. So when it comes to audiobooks, if you're not a celebrity or, I mean, there are, there are celebrity um, audiobook actors, like I believe like Chris Brick. It's hard to forget a name like Brick yeah. uh, works a lot. Um, if you're just a person who auditioned and got it, uh, even on, on, if you go through Audible and audition Audible, your one of two options are either setting up your fee, but the sadly more popular one is getting a percentage of the profits if there are any. So you could be putting in hundreds of hours of recording work on a you know thousand plus page book or whatever, and then some people are insane enough that they also edit it themselves <laughs> and don't negotiate properly a rate for that. So how about hell no? Yeah, it's a lot it's, of work for very, very little reward, isn't no, it? No, but versus like if you're a name, if you're a name celebrity or like um, I think Harry Potter did this, like a lot of the the bigger, bigger IPs that have gone on to become films will then usually do fantastic ensemble recordings that are paid for by the publisher slash studio. So they'll have a whole handful of great actors who come in, sit down, do their thing for a few hours and then leave and then never have to worry about it and then make their regular fee. That's like the ideal for everybody because then you get a quality product. You get an actor that isn't underpaid and overworked Yeah, and you get real certified talent. And then someone else is doing the mastering and editing and the rest of it. So like audiobooks are, are a real, I mean, they're a real shit show. They're a mess because you can put anything of any varying quality on audible. Technically, if you're like a small self-published author, you can get, someone who's up and coming in VO, but maybe they're recording in their closet. But like, I know, so I know at least one person has told me like a lot of, it's very common. Like a lot of actors in LA don't have a proper booth or something like a a booth with like moving blankets. They just go in their closet. Yeah. (laughs) But like you have, if you do, if you're insane enough to do sessions from home in your closet, like one person told me they, they audition on their knees in their closet. And like, I have a booth at home where I take sessions you think I want to be on my knees an hour at a time? Oh no, God no! <laughs> no, so yeah, so stuff is stuff is variable. So no, wait. The answer to that is no. I don't do audiobooks. I would <laughs> I, for for the right time and the right price, and if I'm not responsible for editing, yeah, God, I would. Yeah, editing would be a nightmare on those things. Yeah, I mean, like, but it has to be conditional like that, right? Because I have my my personal pacing. Um, I'm on the hamster wheel now. I'm on the hamster wheel where like I was talking about this with them. One of my directors that I'm working with a lot right now is also, I think a fabulous actor. And I'm always like, God damn it. You should be doing voiceovers. And he's like, I don't like the instability. And a lot of people are scared of doing VO because the, the joke with, with acting full time, you have to be unemployed to be employable. Yeah. If you have another job or another schedule and you can't drop everything right now, this instant for this thing you just booked, sorry, we'll give it to someone else. So, I have to be unemployed and sit around so that when something comes, I'm ready as pathetic as that sounds. But like, I'm on like, I have a promo gig right now. I do um, the promos for the A word um, on Sundance. Um, The A word's a British import television show. Uh, Yeah. It revolves around, um, it's like a sitcom revolves around a child with autism and all the after effects around the family and stuff. Right. So I do all the bumpers and tags and promos for that. And like movies that they show before and after that and blah, blah, blah. And I'd like, I'd heard, what the promo hamster wheel is like, but didn't really understand. And I thought it wouldn't be a thing because Sundance TV is a small independent cable network. They're not like an NBC or an ESPN. Oh no, no, no. TV people need things yesterday. 
yeah. constantly. <laughs> so I have multiple times now within like an hour or two. Frida, so what are you doing in one or two hours from now? Can you be home? So, um, yeah, because they need, okay, great, because they have last minute, they're going to be presenting a movie, and they just need you to do tags around to promote the show. Great. Book that. So I'd rather do it in my booth, standing up like an adult with ventilation than on my knees in my closet. I sound like a Mexican revolutionary zapatista. I'd rather do VO standing than on my knees, but... <laughs> That's my last stand on the matter. Well, I think that's fair enough. I've heard horror stories of people auditioning on their iPhone in the closet, you know, with some blankets over them and stuff. So the phones, phones are kind of um, a bit of a little miracle because if you're running around and like if you're a busy voice actor and you're between jobs, it is not uncommon for <laughs> like you to get a call from your agent and they're like, hey, we have a quick turnaround. Can you just pull over to the side of the road? <laughs> please? That's awesome. And like that happens and it's fine. It's not I, not common, but it's just one of those just in case scenarios that you like being prepared for. So, I mean, I've done that. Certainly I've pulled over into a parking lot, done a, an audition, then got back and on the freeway to the next thing. Wow. And you're right. That is what the scary thing is about the VO world is how you're basically unemployed most of the time and you get employed very briefly and then you're unemployed again. Yeah, which is why getting paid right is so important. If, yeah. if like any any freelancer in any field, it doesn't matter if you're an artist or an independent designer of some kind. It does not matter. If you are not negotiating appropriate living wages for yourself, you will fail and not have no one else to blame but yourself. Because half of it is like you don't you're not expected to be a psychic and know what the hell the market average is. You need to go and talk to people. Yeah. And find out what other people are getting paid and from their gauge for yourself. Like I, I absolutely believe that you should that you should get what you pay for. If you pay for less, you should be getting less quality. If you pay for more, you should be getting more quality. Um, but I've, I've had to tell multiple people, um, you know, nobody gives you a certificate of completion for when you're a professional. Like no yeah. one shows up at your house with a nice little framed plaque and says, congratulations, you are a fully fledged freelance <laughs> sound designer. It'd be cool so, if they did. A lot right. of wasted money, but. <laughs> nobody tells you like you you this is some of the best advice i ever got was like hey nobody treats you as a professional until you do um and part of that is being a mature adult business owner who talks to other mature adult business owners and finds out what the hell the averages are and price yourself from there yeah i think that's sound advice it should be rhetorical well, yeah, logical nonsense <laughs> but um Artists in general have a very hard time asking for what they're worth because they tend to have very little self-worth. Yeah. It just spirals out from there. Well, it's the constant imposter syndrome, isn't it? You know, no one really gets over that. I'm not really one yet. I'm not really doing this yet. I'm starting yeah. to do this or I'm aspiring to do this. And it's like, well, are you doing it? Well, then you're doing it. So. Right. And everybody feels that way. Like, it never goes away. If you're if you're good and you give a damn about your job, it never goes away. There's a fantastic um, composer's roundtable video. I want to say the Hollywood Report. I think the Hollywood Reporter does the um, the roundtable videos, and it's and it's freaking Danny Elfman and Hans Zimmer and um, oh, I'm blanking on names. But if you put in composer uh, roundtable and at least those two, it'll pop up, and um, it's extremely poignant to anybody who does anything creative. And they like they talked about. Like the interviewer asked, and so you guys, do you guys ever get nervous anymore when you're presenting um, new work to the director? And they're like, are you kidding? Every time. Every time they deliver a track, they're all panicking. Yeah, and that's what shows all that you care about your craft. Yeah, like every time they start a new project with a director, even with like a direct, like Danny Elfman's like, I've worked with Tim Burton how many times? And every time I send him something, I'm throwing up. 
Because if he rejects it, it's like a personal affront. Well, that's you know? the thing with creativity, isn't it? It's a personal projection of, of you know, you that you yeah. put on the table. So, And it's hard not to take of like, well, I don't like you. Well, yeah, you don't, you don't like my idea on this. Shit. Well, <laughs> suck it up. Go back. Well, we spoke about this before, didn't we? How you have to kind of let go of that where don't take it personally if you don't get picked for the gig and don't take it personally if they don't like your voice. Oh, yeah. Um... Richard Horvitz, who was mostly my mentor when I was taking classes, um, we say just because you didn't get the job doesn't mean you didn't get the part. Yeah. You can, if, if you feel it in your gut and in your bones and you, like me personally, when I'm auditioning, um, I, I know it comes from when I was a sound designer, I was just manipulating assets. I When I'm editing myself, I'm just an asset. Like it's not yeah. me. Yeah. And I come at it from... A casting director point of view and when I'm listening and editing I think would I cast this person in this role and if I think hell no I would never hire this person for this role I go back and do something else <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until I'm happy with her we're like yeah I would hire this person but it's not it's it is so far removed from me that's not me that's someone I'm looking at hiring did they do a good job I think I, I don't know I don't know if like what I do would work for everybody but it definitely helps me push through beyond taking it personally yeah, it's very good to compartmentalize. And it's great that you bring up that you uh, were in the sound designer side of things before because you've had quite an interesting journey from the side of audio. How has that affected the way you work? You must have learned so much from the other side to then influence this side of things. I've been in nearly every part of the pipeline uh, assembly line chain for VO, which is pretty cool. Um, where I fall just short is like just the other day I did a... <laughs> I did a... PSA commercial and the problem was we did we did four versions of the commercial like four for radio four for like wait no three for radio two for television and then we did two demos in Spanish because I also speak Spanish yeah. I walked out and um, traditionally now that it's the future we you take a, a photo with like a scanning app um, of your phone of the contract send that to your agent and my agent calls me and they're like hey this contract only says two demos and I'm like yeah wait we did way more than two demos. Oh, crap. She's like, we'll go back and fix it. So me and the producer were trying to hash it out. And we very quickly realized we're not the people who should be doing this because neither of us are the agent or the finance people who do all the SAG signatory stuff with the union getting the right documents and contacts. So we, so I gave, put my agent in touch with their um, casting director slash payroll person. And the producer and I just like sat in the uh the booth waiting and we were just like it's so funny the the two the two people who get the business done in vo are the people who are not at the session yeah because i've been i've been in because i was telling the producer like i've been in your role i've been the client when i've been a part of of games as the sound design the, the sound designer i've sat in for lots of sessions um but I was just there to co-direct and guide the actor. I didn't know what the hell their rates were, what they were getting paid, yeah, who their exactly. agent was. Like all that business stuff was totally insulated for me. So um, it's pretty interesting being on the inside because now I'm on the receiving end of other people's crap. So that's cool. Like I said, because <laughs> like I, I very quickly realized the only person who really is going to advocate for me is me. Yeah. The only person who is really intent on making sure I get paid is me. So if if I don't stay on top of those things, nobody will. Do you find it hard to not get involved with the other side of things on certain um, projects, for example? So say like they want to do all the tweaking, they want it raw, or 
you kind of know about certain things and they're having questions, but you don't want to seem like you're being a know-it-all, if that makes sense. On sessions, the only thing that happens is, like, if it's a game, I tend to get emotionally involved vicariously. Like, <laughs> I'll do this with a session. Outside of the actual acting part, I'll just be like, cool, so um, how is this? Like, I'll start asking things that are none of my business. And the casting direct the, the booth directors that are my friends have nipped in the bud and been like, Frida, we got to work. Because yeah. um, I'll be like, so what are you, how are you implementing this? Are you doing, oh, cool, you're doing volume triggers? Are you doing an F mod or, or wise? Just like none of that is my problem. Yeah, just none curious that stuff is... that we'd have to ask, you know. Yeah, I'm just well, yeah, because like, yeah, like, like it's an itch you have to scratch, right? Like you're like, so how are you? How are you oh, doing hell this? Yeah. Like, how are you? How are you pulling <laughs> this together? Oh, cool. So like, how many programmers do you have? Just like all that inane stuff that is none of my business anymore, but I still want to know. Um, well, yeah, because you care. Can't yeah, it, it doesn't affect my performance in any way because it's like, dude, a call out is a call out, a monologue is a monologue, a, a character scene, whatever. That doesn't matter, but it's still, it's still cool. Like I never, like my brain's not shut off to that stuff. I just don't want to do it for a living. It's hard to, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it would be like if you went, you know, if you went full time VO or if you went full time, like say you were full time booth directing. Well, now you're stuck in that job, so you'd be stuck between like the client who's doing the the actual implementing and then the person who's doing the VO, but you're doing the separate job. That's yeah. like where I'm at. It'd be really hard to not ask questions and be curious at least, you know. Right. But I have to like, I, you know, ultimately we're on the clock and it's like, no, we got to go. Yeah, gotta, exactly. And time is money, especially in, in Hollywood, as they say. Yeah. So on breaks, <laughs> I tend to, I tend to probe people and just be like, so how is this? What are you using? Are you using face effects? What are, oh, like I've never gotten anybody annoyed with me though, that I know of. That <laughs> you're aware of. There was just mostly like, why do you know or care? Oh, because they used to. Oh, so then huh. it becomes like a big empathy puddle. Yeah. Like if, if it's somebody who's low on audio programmers or no audio programmers or short on staff or they're behind on a deadline, like I get it. So. Yeah, I mean, it must make you a bit more understanding at certain levels of things. So. Uh, yeah, the empathy is nice. Like I feel, um, like like a th I might have said this in the last interview that I I presume that me going full time VO would mean that nobody in development would ever talk to me again that I would just get totally snubbed by the community and the ops is true I work with so many more developers so much more quickly I feel like I've made a lot more relationships more quickly and also like they never have to get fed up with me because I'm out of there in four hours so they may never see my face again and we can stay friends forever yay yay <laughs> now speaking of games you've been extremely busy in the gaming world the last couple of years haven't you. Um, yeah. And I tried to go through, I went through my, my business ledger and my IMDb because it's like, not just remembering, forgetting what I have done and haven't done. I have to like, look at what's actually out. Yes, of course. Yeah. And I NDAs and everything. To. You have to be so careful. Yeah. I can see there's stuff that has been announced, but some companies are very particular about, they want to do cast announcements at once. Yeah. So they're very particular about like, no, no, I don't, we don't care how many videos or no, no, you shut your mouth. Okay, cool. And then other companies, um, the second a video goes out or something, if, especially if they know me, they'll tweet, it's my friend Frida. Blah. I'm like, and then I'll be like, okay, I guess, okay, this is how I'm finding out. I can talk about it. I cannot confirm or deny. Yeah. That. So it's like sometimes, so sometimes you get a written contract saying when you can say, and then other times it's people tweeting out the video and tagging me. I'm like, yeah. oh, I guess I can talk now. But like safety first, don't say anything ever. Yeah, um, I mean, it's best case scenario, isn't it? You know, just don't say anything until you're 100% yeah. sure. So I compiled, I compiled a list of what's out. 
So um, I'm Shoot. Zuki. Well, I have to stick to this list because if I talk about anything else, I'm like, wait, is that an, I don't even know. <laughs> Was it a dream? Um, so I'm Zuki in Atlas Reactor from Tryon, which is like a turn-based um, third-person kind of instance MOBA thing. Um, nice. So that's, she's, yeah, she's cool. She's she's just me with a rocket launcher, which is cool because I like rocket launchers. Scary. Uh, you with a rocket launcher is quite a scary idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you ever played Battlefield with me, you would know. Um, <laughs> I did the park. I got to be Lorraine. That was a fun Oh, awesome. Thing. I'm actually going to buy that this month. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. I saw the trailer the other day. That looks really good. I didn't know you were in that. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, that's a fun one where a lot of people are like, wait a minute. Who? Wait a minute. Yeah. Um, so you get to play as me. So have fun with that. Yay. In the park. Uh, a lot of people are like, so Street Fighter Five, But it's funny. Like I had 16 or 20 hours of recording for Street Fighter Five because I'm the information voice. Ah, okay. You You have played this character. For the three hundredth time, it's all like <laughs> stitchable, literally like sixteen or twenty hours of that. <sighs> so it's Fun. not like it's not <laughs> my character and screaming and kicking and punching. I'm just, I'm just telling you numbers. But I mean, that was a good chunky job. It's just a lot of hours. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it's like the tele, not teleprompter. What's the word? You know, when you ring up, and they're like zero nine nine one. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm a robot a lot. I'm good at it. It's, fine. it's money. Um. The division is really funny because I'm two or three different NPCs that are trying to kill you at any given time. Oh, excellent. And like I'm not the that cast list must be huge and I don't think anyone's put it up to IMDB, so I'm not credited, but I'm on there and I will randomly get people who know me being like, Are you are you in the division? And I'm like, Yeah, was I trying to kill you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> to the point where I had a bunch of maintenance done in my apartment the other day and at the end of this email chain with my building manager he's like hey i think i'm i think you're in a video game i'm playing yeah what is it the division yeah i was sorry i was trying to kill you sorry landlord person trying to murder you. <laughs> that's amazing so that, yeah so i must really sound like me in the division also how does my building manager whom i've never run at you screaming with a weapon know what i sound like when i'm attacking That's i was gonna funny. say it's quite weird that he knows what you sound like when you're screaming it <laughs> i just must be screaming all the time is the conclusion there's just no difference between that and now I'm yeah i mean you're screaming right now i'm just screaming I, right yeah. now flames on the side of my face <laughs> with um, a rocket launcher yep uh i don't know if we i don't know if evolve was around when we did the last one no it wasn't evolve. no but Damn, that was a long time evolve. ago. Um, it's three you... years ago this December. Can you believe it? Ah! <laughs> I know, start... right? Scary. My three-year anniversary of doing VO full-time was April. Yeah. So, bananas. Uh, I did Evolve. I was Kyra. And also the tutorials. <laughs> so I'm all over that game. Uh, uh, Masquerada is coming out really soon. That's a turn-based combat fantasy first-person la-di-da that has a bajillion voice actors in it. And what's cool about it is um, Mike Surix, who's the casting and booth director, was very... He was super adamant about, like, you know what's a really great idea? Ensemble recording. And it's a, it's a very story, story and conversation-heavy game. Right. And it's so conversation-heavy that he was actually able to talk these... I got to meet them at the rap party. These lovely people from Singapore who are the developers, he was actually able to convince them that 
bothering with scheduling for ensemble was worth it. And oh my God, it's so worth it. So I got to do ensemble sessions with Matt Mercer and Oh, that's awesome. Mercer's the lead. So I believe you play as you play as him. It's his story in the game. And um Mike's intern Nick, Nicholas is um my brother. So I got to be trapped in a room with those two. That's brilliant. That was yeah, it was super fun. Um yeah, the, I'm a big uh, fan of Matt's work on uh, Resident Evil because he's one of my favorite characters, Leon. Everyone's a fan of Matt everywhere. Matt's amazing. <laughs> and he's a good dungeon master. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, so Masquerada was Masquerada was a cool experience only because we voice actors never get to see around other people. Like I've gotten one of my, my personal goals was doing... Um, wanted to do more animation just because there's a higher chance that you'll be in a room with other people yeah of course so i've gotten to do one-off like basically be a day player for some animated shows here and there which in some cases is kind of weird because like for one of those shows i showed up and it was an ensemble cast of like 12 people who've been working together for years yeah and then just like the one-off for two episodes and it's like hi so they already have their relationships with each other but i'm just like a crew member that day you're just kind of squeezing in for a couple of days it's like being a transfer student for a couple days (laughs) like you don't you don't really get to settle in but you'll you'll say hi and and meet people and shake hands no one's gonna put too much effort in because they're already clicky and just want to right and i gotta leave so but I did get to do, but still, like, I get to read against people and talk to actual humans, which is great. Yeah, it must be refreshing. Yeah, not as intimate as I got to do with Mercer and Center Nicholas in a small room for Masquerada, because we were, like, directly talking to each other, not across. Oh, the- yeah. That was really cool. And then Killer Instinct, I'm Mira, who's the undead half-Russian, half-Brazilian vampire. Cool. That's new. Their storylines are really... Comp- like they they really think it out their storylines are like soap opera level complicated interwoven drama tends to happen in fighting games right they seem to come up with these elaborate you gotta make up for the short rounds exactly yeah <laughs> with this kind of cockamamie story mode i know i grew up on soul caliber high i was about to say soul caliber <laughs> yeah everyone's everyone else's ex or brother or mother <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. Or a possessed demon of the father of yeah. blah 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, I know. So yeah, I'm I'm Mira, and uh, my storyline is like my my sister bitch killed me. Of course. And then I and then I become unkilled to come kill her as many times as it takes until I am the champion of Killer Instinct. Oh, is she undead as well now? No, I think she's another vampire. She's not an undead vampire, but I'm an undead vampire. Don't ask. I don't know. It's vampire law. Whatever whatever rules in the underground vampire <laughs> these days. It's like time travel. Know. Everyone makes up their own rules for time travel. So Yeah. <laughs> and then the last thing that I know I can say is XCOM 2. I am Very cool. American option number two, which was my favorite because once I figured out I was number two, I was just posting on Twitter, I'm number two. I'm number two. <laughs> And then Austin Powers, who does number two work for? So that's me. So if you wanna if you wanna run and gun as me murdering aliens in XCOM two, I'm number two. So that's stuff from. It's funny. I maybe I should have gone deeper back. I went through stuff that's between last year and this year, and there might be more, but those are probably the bigger ones anyway. No, yeah. Well, it's nice to hear that you keep him really busy. As as busy as people want me to be <laughs> at the mercy. <laughs> Other people hiring me, but no, it's it's really good, and I'm happy. I've like expanded my horizons past games as well. Like I mentioned, I got to do the promo game, gig and some animation. I have more animation incoming, so I will be a more varied actor, which makes me happy. I won't be stuck in any particular mode of working. 
Yeah, and the Spanish side of things must really help, especially with promos. Uh, I haven't done any promos in Spanish. I do get Spanish work here and there, though. Like it's it's offered as an option to people. Like, hey, should you do the Spanish one too? But um, it's a little different because I'm uh less culturally Hispanic. My mother was from Mexico City. I grew up speaking Spanish. I lived in Mexico for a couple years in childhood. Um, but I am culturally American. So when I've been hired for Spanish and commercials and stuff, like I've done national brands, for example, I did a campaign for Starbucks and the reason they hired me was because I could speak it. I can turn on and turn off the accent in either language in any direction. At ah, any time. I remember you saying that. Yeah. That's yeah. And native speakers trick, right? can't do that. So like I would be, I would be on Venice de Jueves a Starbucks, but I tomar una tivana. Like, you know, <laughs> you want the, the English, the English words as like vanilla and straight as possible. Yeah. But colloquially, that doesn't necessarily read if you're trying to do a more a more integrated brand that speaks to that demographic. Like, um, for example, I think McDonald's commercials tend to be more than McDonald's. So I do like when I audition, I just do it both ways just to let them know. But I know culturally I come off like I would be the equivalent of so, someone telling a black person, you sound really white. And it's like, well, that doesn't make me any less of a race maybe culturally elocutionally i don't sound like what you think the stereotype is yeah. you have to remember when i'm when i'm being hired i'm probably being listened to by white people yeah a lot of the time probably yeah who are like listening for a sound and not listen and and as a result they might be listening for a stereotype well that happens with a lot of accents doesn't it i mean especially things like scottish as well where they're like they kind of oh, want the more God. shrek thing you know what i mean as opposed to well, an actual scottish accent you know i'm engaged to a scottish person well, now, yeah. so i get i get that oh god yeah <laughs> well, yeah yeah I mean, like mine's mine's an you know my the fiance is an edinburgh guy and the difference between that and Glaswegian and then like Highlander rule is Jesus Christ. They don't sound anything. They're all alien languages unto themselves. Yeah. Well, people forget that within a country, there's lots of different dialects, even in Scotland, Ireland and West. Of course. <laughs> you know? well, that's, like, that's, that's, that's my big favorite joke now of like, we get, we get, we get scripts constantly and say British accent. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then what it becomes is like, it's exactly what I'm talking about though. Cause then we suss out from the scripts content what it ends up becoming is that we do a stereotype of a social class. Yeah. Which is shitty. But oh. it's shitty for you guys because think about it. Because we, because like if we get something that's like peasants, we might do a northerner. Yeah. Like a northerner accent, which is, which is a commentary on the north. <clears throat> or if we get, um, you know, something that's more upper class and people go like posh British, which is again, like not all Londoner accent people are rich. Just like that's, it's kind of crap. Yeah, well, it's like I joke about um, like Shadows of Mordor is one of them, but Lord of the Rings in general. Like the elves are really posh and eloquent. The orcs are usually Cockney, and the Northerners are like the heroic, like <laughs> you know, humans. Right, because everybody's Jon Snow now. Yeah, exactly. So it's just really funny because they're like, "Oh no," and then, "Oh, go eat him," you know, like that. <laughs> it's yeah. just like what? <laughs> you should feel good. North Northerner thinks to Game of Thrones. Northerner is so hot right now. Freaking Sean Bean is the narrator for Civilization Six, yo. Oh, Sean Bean's amazing though. He's he's so really hot cool. right now. Yeah, yeah and yeah. he's probably not going to die this time. Yeah, I mean, it would be good if he doesn't. You know, <laughs> for a change. Well, like that probably means like. If I haven't talked to you in three years, it also means that you missed it when it got to be narrator for Civ. Yeah, so. I did. No. Yeah. So I haven't I heard to... that. I'll have to check that out. 
Yeah, so I'm sandwiched between like Leonard Nimoy and Sean Bean. That's pretty good company. Oh, that's amazing. That's yeah, so it's cool. not a bad gig. That's really really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, if my successor has to be Sean Bean, I guess it's fine. <laughs> you know, whatever. I guess that's all right. I guess. <laughs> He's this up and coming actor. He did like yeah. yeah I like, think this, I've heard of him. He did something like ages ago. It's fine. <laughs> I've seen him personally. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, apart from celebrities, a lot of people are considering a career in voice acting these days. So it's become a lot more popular than it used to be, right? It's not just me thinking that. I don't know if more popular, but I think it's it's what I was saying earlier about the internet makes everyone think they can do everything. Yeah. And then they do it for five dollars. And also the accessibility to equipment. Everyone just gets a mic and a PC now and thinks, right, I'm a producer or I'm a I'm a voice yeah, artist. Yeah. And and that's why I was saying, um, it's if you're gonna do this full time, you have to understand the actual the actual business investment and overhead costs yeah that you require to do it right and then from there also derive your appropriate living wages by talking to other people and not assuming that the five dollar i mean i've had i've taken on like less so now but when i was starting out like i i i knew what i was doing when i was purposely taking underpaying jobs because i wanted more experience more than i wanted or needed the money yeah on purpose because i'm like i just want to I just want to Well, it makes sense. You want to hone your craft and get good at it. Yeah. And I'm, and because I didn't think I was so great, I'm like, well, they're getting what they pay for anyway. So screw them. Fine. Pay me $30, $40. Exactly what we were saying earlier. I've done work for clients where the, they're like, so what do you charge? And I've given them my then rates, which have since changed. And they're like, oh, well, someone I know charges by the word. God damn it. Jesus Christ. Like, this is why we have, this is why we have problems, though, based on free market internet nonsense it kind of screws up the market for everybody i mean i will say like there's definitely less of a bottleneck i certainly i jumped in at the best possible time because when i was starting and then commuting from la um back in the day and not even that long ago i want to say like less than somewhere between 10 and 12 years ago if you wanted to do this you were still expected to go to your agency every day and audition wow and wait in a queue for however long. And it's worse. Like if, if you were at a if you happen to be at a bigger agency where they have celebrities, the second that celebrity walks in, you're screwed. You're yeah, now you now have to wait for however long until they're done in the booth because they're more important than you. Um so yeah, you had to go in every day and do auditions that you're not working, which is insanity to me. And now I'm beholden to this endless stream of emails when there's work coming in so that while I'm in a session, I'm still getting emails for auditions that I have to do that night when I go home that are due the next day. And if I have a job in the morning, well then I better do them at night before I go to bed, no matter how tired I am, because I'm not going to be able to do them tomorrow. Cause I'll be working again. Yeah, exactly. So you're, just, you're on this treadmill, but we, I, which is better for everybody because you know, me talking about how we had to do it analog where it's like, if you happen to not have work that day, then you get to be at your agency auditioning. Well, obviously now our our output is much bigger, which means our potential for working is much better. Yeah. But it's also a big treadmill and you have to be prepared and equipped for that. And I would definitely suggest not doing it on your knees. Uh, yeah, that's a good good idea. I'd, I'd start with that. Or even sitting at your sitting at your desk is awful. One, oh, you're in front you're of back. the computer. Ugh. So if you don't, well, it's, it's everything. Everything is wrong and bad. Uh, if you're doing it like USB through your computer or whatever, if you don't happen to have a quiet fan, you're now adding fan noise and heat. You are sitting and pinching your diaphragms and you're not getting maximum air. 
your energy level is inherently going to be lower because you're not standing. Like you're so much of your acting comes from your posture. Yeah. Like yeah. obviously mic tech is first and foremost. So like don't flail and go off mic and hit stuff, but <laughs> don't uh, punch the mic. No, but you get so much more when you're, when you're grounded and you're standing right. I mean, like don't lock your knees and you're like kind of, you're, you just, you feel ready versus sitting and being hunched out. Like, no, that's all wrong. Yeah, and it sounds half-assed a lot of the time if you sit down and do it, right? Well, it's just it's just the inherent effect your body has on your voice. Like, the, the mic captures everything. Anybody who works in VO will tell you anything that's going on in your brain, whether you'd rather be having lunch or you have to pee or you can't remember if you turn the oven off or you think <laughs> the script is stupid, that all comes out onto the mic. doesn't matter what you're doing. Like, it, it comes through your the way the words are coming out of your mouth, period. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed as well is that you you don't notice, you think you're putting in more energy than you actually are. Like when you listen back to the recording, a lot of the time, there's not as much energy in it as it, you first thought, right? Well, putting in... Or is that just me? Quote unquote, putting in energy, that doesn't mean anything though. Like if you want to get into the actory, heady stuff, your emotions are coming from the story and the story is informing you what your character wants. Like that's yeah. the most basic actor directive what do you want and if you don't change what you want or why you want it or who you want it from nothing changes about your read like louder louder does not mean more energy or more intense no, no, yeah. you know quieter does not mean more threatening like the volume doesn't mean anything energy doesn't mean anything you have to dig and think about well why at this moment why am i saying this what do i want and why is it not working yeah, I guess maybe strength of character is a better word than energy, if that's maybe what I'm looking for. Um, you just have to do. I mean, there there are cheap tricks like when people are like, warm it up or make it warmer, then force a smile on your face and magically the words sound warmer. But you have to be careful that you're not faking it so badly that you sound cloying and saccharine. Yeah, and sarcastic or something. Yeah, stuff like that. So, um, it all comes down to the acting. It's not about. I mean freaking gandalf is in my head i'm not some conjurer of cheap tricks it's not a bunch of cheap <laughs> tricks it's it's solid acting and you you got to get that That was a spot on ian mckellen impression as well by the way thank you it's really my best one <laughs> there are others we have the same birthday what ian mckellen and i have the same birthday oh wow cool it means nothing i just think it's cool Kill killian murphy cool. killian murphy and mckellen and i are may 25th which i like that's good that's, company that's a good collection yeah i'm fine that's with cool. it <laughs> there are a lot of misconceptions with voice acting though right like a lot of people wrongly call it real acting when you're on film or in theater compared to voice acting they kind of treat it as a separate form of acting but it, it's still acting um there's like i think there's a human brain disconnect when people are like well if i can't see your face then it's different which is why like uh it's never happened to me but um but also like i don't i don't do a lot of fan service i have i'm also like i'm not i'm a, i'm still happily a nobody like nobody's asked me to conventions or anything but people who do conventions a lot and have to interface with the public a lot i think everyone of those actors have a so do you do any real acting yeah and so and they just have to sit there and try not to blow up <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it's just it incites this 
not anger, but well, yeah, I guess anger instantly, yeah, it doesn't is. it? It's like insulting. it's anger. It's like, what it's do you mean, direct, real acting? It's a direct insult. It's a direct, a hundred percent affront insult. I'm trying um, to be British and polite, you see, but it is just angry. It's no, <laughs> see, I'm gonna undo you and Joe, the Scotsman fiance. I mean, Brit- pass. The only thing that British passive aggressive hurts is y'all. Yeah, y'all get ulcers and y'all get upset. <laughs> y'all get angry. And then y'all are mad that nobody's a mind reader because you just didn't say what you want. My favorite thing about British passive aggressiveness is the whole um, framing personal wants as a question. Like, do you want to get a coffee? No. You want to get a coffee and you want me to come with. So why don't you say, I want to get a coffee. Do you want to come with me? Yeah. See? And it's like, and it's, and it's like, it's like I'm twisting his tooth. It's so good. <laughs> so good the pain is so good i love it no it's a good reprogramming um but also like but obviously i don't know cultural cultural bits like that are good to know especially if you're doing a character because even if that's not in the script if you know what people are expected to behave like then it's very helpful yeah and as a, a kind of random but related subject i was talking to a, a british vo the other day about this and it seems to be more British people that get upset at like self-promotion posts on social media. Like he got criticized. Um, he got caught that he was bragging and he was, I personally didn't think he was bragging. And I think there's this, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong with the terminology, but there's a lot of the American way of promoting yourself and the British way of promoting yourself. And if you do it the American way, the British guys just think you're being arrogant. Whereas it's actually just solid promotion for what you're doing. I, th- I think there's a limit. So on things like Twitter and Facebook, like me, the way I use those mediums personally, I don't want to be um, drowned in commercials. No. And if every person I follow is only, like, I, I cannot follow actors, even if I like them personally, if all they ever do is retweet the compliments they get from people. Yeah. But they never post any, like... <laughs> annoyingly what a, uh, what a millennial or a marketing person would call original content, which really means <laughs> yeah. just be a freaking human being. Yeah, post something. And, and talk about, <laughs> just, just be a person and talk about yourself. Like, you know me, I post my stupid cat all the time because that's my life. My life is yelling at my cats. Um, and just stuff like, just be a person. But if all you project onto the world, never mind like a finely manicured persona, if all you project is what you're selling you are a commercial that's it that's, and that's all it. you are yeah, it's all and self-promo. You, you get back what you give yeah and, and that's it but like he definitely doesn't do that he posts about random crap all the time and well, that then might we'll just... yeah that might be a crossover then of british people getting annoyed of like one one does not talk about oneself too politely or positively for too long <laughs> Queen does not approve. I don't, I mean, that, that might be a cultural thing for me. I, I feel, I don't know. You'd have to ask my followers if I'm, if I'm doing it wrong, but like I, I am myself 99% of the time. And then, like I said, like (laughs) nobody tells people when things are out, nobody tells us when things are out. I have to go through my ledger and then I go YouTubing months later and see if the thing I did is out. And if I can talk about it, post it for myself or, or rip it for my demo or whatever, or somebody tags me on Twitter and like, hey, this thing is uh, my friend Frida. I'm like, cool. I'll retweet that. Done. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing wrong with retweeting stuff. It's just when they literally only retweet and share yeah. their own well, posts. Yeah. Well, again, are you a person or are you an advert for the person? Yeah. It's like now you um, stop being a person. Auto posts. Ugh, don't like them. No, I th- I think you got to figure out that balance for yourself. I mean, it's it is insane. You you would not believe, and yet you would believe. 
the number of classes, I mean, everybody wants your money and there are classes for everything because people are thrilled to take your money forever. But there are so many seminars and classes on how to use social media for your business that sadly tends to also target older people who didn't grow up with um, just online etiquette and online behavior that millennials have of like, this is how this is how you are part of an online community forum, uh, MMO rating party, whatever, like all those things that that inform you and me on how to interact. Yeah. Older people don't have those mechanics. It's all very artificial and strange and alien and scary. So they pay money to take classes in person or online of how how to be a person on the Internet. And it's so awkward and painful. And I feel for them because the idea of just being a regular human being out loud is too bizarre. Yeah. I mean, it freaks some people out. I mean, I know a lot of people who just don't want to use Twitter or Facebook because they're like, well, I just know. You give, but you, you get what you give. I have booked quite a handful, a few handfuls of jobs probably just because of my relationships on Twitter. Yeah. Just either word of mouth referrals or, um, uh, like somebody will be, I need a female Rio for blah. And people will tag their friends, including me. Or, um, it's happened multiple times where somebody likes me from a trailer or video from another game. And then the person who works on that game, they were like, Hey, sh- you should, here's Frida. Yeah. Excellent. So, um, so if, because I'm available, that chain of communication can keep going. If I'm not there to kind of receive the compliment and receive the referral, ugh. Yeah, I mean, I love Twitter for that. I mean, it's worked for me and for the sound architect as well. You know, that's how we've got a lot of our interviews. I mean, our first interview that we ever did was because I tweeted at someone. So, Ta-da! you know, Twitter, I think, is amazing. So. To be a person. What were we talking about before this? Oh, the acting thing. Just like, <laughs> yeah. real quick on that. It's, it's an insult because the vast majority, the people who work the most also have usually very well-rounded, seasoned backgrounds they come from theater or television or sketch comedy or improv groups or whatever like a lot of people fall into vo later in their acting careers Mm. after having done things like uh, there's a there's a guy that i did some ucb improv classes with and then i ran into i've run into him multiple times at the same studio because when i was doing proactive commercials he was doing i want to say um chevrolet and like or no maybe i mean the voice of dodge Oh wow! Or whatever, nice. and he's a and he's an on he. Uh, when I first met him, he has like a long history of soap. Like he's a, he's one of the in Hollywood. You see it. There, there are people who just have like faces and bodies for television and film. And he's like a guy who totally. He's like a male model soap opera. Dream oh, right. yeah, so he had like a long career in soap operas, and then he gets, <laughs> he gets typecast all the time to be, the day player one off hunk. <laughs> he's been on 30 rock and he was in lady dynamite um oh, on nice. Netflix as like the hunk but that's what he's limited to like again the whole pretty people don't have it easier too that's the box he has to live in like that's well, his yeah, whole that's box he doesn't get to do now. anything beyond being a day player hunk and he's done it most of his career it's kind of boring so when i ran into him at the studio i was like what what are you doing here and he's like you know i just started doing vo and i like it he said on top of which, he said he never really felt fully comfortable on camera. It's a grind. He's also just, he gets really limited roles. And then in VO, he can do whatever. And he's much happier and the work's more consistent. And he's got like a wife and kids. So now you've got like handsome male model types moving in on VO because he likes the work better. So there you go. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I can see why. I mean, personally, I'd prefer VO over anything else anyway. 
but that's just because I'm so at home with the gear and everything else, I suppose. I've not really done the kind of theatre side of things and then gone into anything else. I've just always worked in the, in the studio. I'd like to. My my end all and end all be all overall goal is eventually to do performance capture because that is that is oh, that'd be awesome. Because that's a hard day. That is yeah. the hardest. Um, because you have to now you have to be aware of getting a clean take of everything of yeah. of your lines and vo and your your whole physical presence and everything. I mean that's. It's that if you want to label something as real acting, that's real acting, but it's hyper real acting because when you're in theater, like you're, you're doing theater, you're, you are projecting and presenting to the audience, which, and the audience is all in one direction. They're not, they're not behind you. You can't like give your back to them or any of that stuff. Like you have to be aware of, of your audience there, but in performance capture, you have the freedom to face anything, but everything you do is being picked up as information. Yeah, and you have to remember spots all over again and like what you're doing with your hands, what you're doing with your arms, what you're doing with your legs, where you're looking, what your neck's like. <laughs> it's a it's a big technical mess and I want to do it because it's hard. So no, that's like my end all cool. cool. Yeah, it's just it's just really hard work. And those are long days. I mean, I, th- I think they do like full eight hour days or something. Wow, yeah, that is a long day. Yeah, um, so that's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just make but, it but, harder for yourself. Why not, you know? Uh, yeah, well, because nobody, right? well, no. well, nobody wants to stagnate. Nobody wants to stagnate because you just, you stop learning and you stop growing and that doesn't benefit anybody. No, definitely not. Um, but yeah, so like, no, VO is, is real acting. And when you go in the booth and you're like, whatever, it's just making sounds, you'll figure out real quickly why it's not. Because like, like I said, if you don't, if you don't know why you're saying what you're saying, what you want, who you want it from, who you're talking to and why you, you're there and how you feel about it, nothing's going to come right out of your mouth. Yeah, and sometimes you don't get enough information for that, though, right? Well, it, um, you'll learn very quickly either just on the job or from classes or from mentors or whatever. You have to fill in the blanks and make choices. And, I mean, it's not uncommon for if, – if you're doing commercial work, too, you're definitely expected to make choices to uh, entertain the uh, the directors and the clients because they're kind of waiting for you to, to bring something magical and fix their problems. Yeah. So you you have to take the init- initiative. Same thing in, in animation, definitely. In, uh, in animation, you're definitely expected to be like a, a contributor where you have to make their words and their, their scenes sing because you took you took your own steps and initiative. Like, just, like I always use the anecdote of um, jo- John DiMaggio doing Bender how like the, when that script went out, it just said robot because they were like, uh, we don't know what we want, just like robot, and everybody did the same freaking thing. Yeah, everybody went beep bap, I'm a robot, and then Dimash like, uh, I see, he's like just read into the script, and he's like, I see this guy's like a blue blue collar alcoholic who never leaves the bar. Uh, so and then you have Bender who's super iconic. Yeah, I mean that voice is amazing. So you're you are expected to take the initiative and make choices and fill in the blanks. And the worst that can happen if you do an audition is that you don't get a job. And the best that can happen is that you be vendor. Yeah, and then like you've just got to make the choice and stick with it because the problem is you there might be various options based on the information you've got, right? So you've just got to pick one and just hope for the best. Don't hope. Be well, confident. Not your, hope for the best. Your but go personal, for it. your internal confidence and decision making will influence the whole room. There's nothing worse than. Like, look, you have to you have to remember when you're in a session, everybody's there for you. This whole session, this whole day is revolving around you doing your job and making it work. The engineers, the clients, the directors, this was scheduled and paid for 
for you to make it work. You are expected to solve their problem and be the answer you have to put out. So you can't, hoping is not good enough. No ever. pressure. <laughs> yeah. But you have to like, you have to, you have to sack up and be willing to do that. You're not there. You can't be in the, in the show up to a job and be like, Oh, I hope I do a good job. Because that, that spinelessness will absolutely translate in your performance as well. And they'll feel like they have to guide you more or hold yeah. your hand more. And nobody wants that. People, people want someone who is very confident in their choices. And like when I was on the client side, I absolutely could see, like I got to sit in um, with people like Troy Baker and Laura Bailey. Amazing. Um, and they're like, I always compare Troy. Troy is like a bucking wild stallion. <laughs> he he's so enthralling to watch because he just takes it and runs with it and gallops and if you don't pull the rein he's gone yeah yeah he's like, just gonna he's go just, with it no he's just gone and running but that he's doing his job and yeah. like i i told him after i was like you just you're so good at being confident and sticking to your choices and he was like thanks like you, you tell so it's like he was doing the job for us all we had to do is like you know occasionally nudge him this way or that but he was he was very confident in his choices so we were confident in him that's yeah, well, all that's... anybody wants. So, like, don't, in general, don't show up to any job hoping and praying. Also, I'm not telling you to be a pompous asshole. A pompous <laughs> asshole is someone who who knows they don't know everything and doesn't care. Right, yeah. To know more. But if you go in with, with the humility of, you know, even at the top, even the best players especially know that you never stop learning and you're never the best person you can be and you're never the best you can be at your craft, but God damn it, you are there to work. Yeah, you go in, get the job done, and then get out. Yeah, because otherwise you failed everybody who came and showed up for you, and all that money that they spent on you was for nothing. Like, nobody wants to leave a session feeling like we failed, we cast the wrong person. Yeah, it's a complete so, waste of time and money for everyone then. Yeah, so every every job I show up to, I like, I feel like a freaking football player. Every, every job I show up to, I'm like, what's up? Let's go, let's go. Let's awesome. do this. Yeah, well, you got to have that proactive attitude. Yeah, well, yeah, you have to, like, even, even, like, with the worst, the worst clients, quote-unquote, like, the worst client to me is somebody who doesn't know what they want. Yeah. And all that means is just, like, extra time dicking around looking for what they want, which, again, means it's my job to try this, that, and the other. Again, the pressure's on, on me to make a choice that they feel comfortable with. So I can't, I can't get angry or resentful or upset at them. Like I describe the job as your job is to like voice acting specifically is to is to be yourself, have real emotions as many times as is necessary in front of a person on time and for money. Yeah, that makes sense. That's it. That's it. As many times as, as it's required. And your job is to suck it up and be as vulnerable and as emotional every time. Well, yeah, I mean, you must have to get so used to it by going between so many different roles so quickly as well. Because you could have multiple in one day. Multiple in a session. Well, yeah, even one session. <laughs> I've played, I mean, I've done like every age group, every social class, every whatever in a session because they just needed miscellany. Yeah, yeah, just miscellaneous voices. And just be open and go do it as many times as possible. So, yeah, and that's why, like, uh, I don't know if you see, like, me, I know, like, what Allegra Clark, other people have posted when you're like, hey, <laughs> guess what the professional voice actor didn't do? <laughs> Hitting record is important. Shit. <laughs> like, you'll just go, you're just so distracted or whatever, and you go in the booth and you do a whole reader. You're like, yeah, now come out and you're like, 
<laughs> doesn't matter. Why? Because we're professionals. And what does that mean? It means we could do it a hundred times and every time we'll be just as good. Get yep. back in there. Get Didn't in record the this time. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, eh, no, it's real acting, dude. Good luck if you think it's not. Yeah, of course it is. And one of the things I'm really curious about that I've wanted to bring up a few times but just haven't is taking care of your voice. Now, say you've got, you've got like so many sessions booked in a week, right? And some of those are going to be screaming, shouting, yelling. There, there are ways to do that without just tearing your throat apart, right? Yeah. Um, so on my website, which is myname.com, um, I have a tab on the far right that says how to become a voice actor. And on there, there's a quote pro tips blog, which is just me answering people's questions and emails and writing a blog so I don't have to do it again later. I guess it's like an FAQ at this point. Yeah, you got a lot of advice on there. Um, well, mostly I just I do it because I don't want to repeat myself later when someone's like, hey, what's the answer to this question that I didn't feel like Googling? And I'm like, look, I did it for you. <laughs> um, so somebody asked me about preparation and recovery. Actually, I'm, I'm going to read their question. This is an email from a friend. Um, How would you recommend both preparing for and protecting your voice when given rules that require screaming, yelling, etc.? I can imagine any anime actor would have their vocal cords Tone, why is it anime specifically? Anime actor who would have their vocal cords torn to shreds when shouting for battle scenes. Hey, you think anime is tough to try video games. Yeah. Is this something that would just require regular practice to strengthen cords? Or is there any particular way to shout and bluster that will do less potential damage to the voice? And I found that so interesting. I'm like, the folds in your in your larynx are not biceps. You don't yeah. do lifts. <laughs> you don't do lifts and squats. Vo vocal notes are no joke. You get when so if you look at if and anybody who does anything with their voice should look this up like you should be aware of your anatomy like any athlete has to be hyper aware of how their anatomy works you yeah. should look up and see what a throat is like if you look up the inside of of the larynx of the throat kind of looks like a vagina and the way we make sounds is those these two folds vibrate together when when air passes through so they vibrate together and rub against each other and when you do um, strenuous stuff, they rub against each other so hard, it creates scar tissue. And that scar tissue creates nodules. And they don't go away. Over time, it can, it'll, you'll sound like a smoker, it'll change the quality of your voice, it'll also become painful, and you have to get them removed surgically. And that's from abuse. Nobody wants that. It's expensive and painful and awful and changes the quality of your voice forever. Well, that sounds horrendous. Um, so, again, you can't, you can't crossfit your throat. It's not like that. You can learn how to do things quote properly. And by properly, we just mean minimize damage. So, yeah. um, I, I had the benefit of like, I did a lot of, um, ensemble choir in high school. So, um, the concept of vocal warmups and, and things like that is, was already like very relatable to me. So a lot of people will like just sing and do scales um, in the car on the way to a job, especially if it's the morning and just warm up your throat. Yeah. Um, particularly if you know, if it's going to be a strange state. And I just thought it's so funny. It's like animate. No, like anime is fine. If you're doing battle scenes or whatever, sure. in anything, but ugh, games are the hardest and worst. And just like PS, if you're someone who's just starting out, ugh, like, I just got to put this out there in case someone is new. Uh, if you're in a session and, it's a it's going to be a multiple hour session and for some reason somehow yelling comes up in the beginning or oh, the God, middle no. 
<laughs> again, no one is your is a greater advocate for you than you. Stand up for yourself and say, hey, can I do you guys a favor? Can we move this yelling stuff to the end? Because if we do this now, it will change the quality of my voice and we won't be able to continue. So how about let me help you out by moving the yelling to the end the way it should be. Yeah. And they can't say no because that's the truth. Well, it's a sim simple concept. As soon as you bring it up, I'm sure they'll be like, oh, right. Yeah. yeah, I've never had, when I've had to do it, no one's been like, no, they've been like, oh, that makes sense. Like, yeah, it does. Um, and if you have a loud screaming session, it should never be longer than two hours. Um, it will end in tears. If it's oh, longer God, than yeah. two hours, you will or be out. No voice. Days. Yeah, and I mean, that's something like um, one of the points of contention that SAG-AFTRA has been threatening to strike for for the last couple of years is that, I mean, I've done it. There are, there are game companies out there that... Um, don't see the problem with four hour yelling sessions where it's literally nothing but yelling and projecting. Yeah. And it doesn't like your anybody who's like been at a convention or a party Ugh. and the next day you're like, or at a concert and the next day you sound like you have pneumonia. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a finite resource. And for us, it's our entire livelihood. Like well, we that's have it's your to, career. We have to work the next day. We've got auditions that we might have to miss out on because we're out of commission. Like it's it's serious business. So, um, one of one of those points of contention is is just making it a rule that a strenuous session cannot go further than two hours. For the games that I have done where they were smart and they only scheduled two hours, it was just such night and day difference of like I could still function that day. Well, yeah, I was going to ask like, even if you take care of your voice screaming shouting and yelling is going to do something surely so do you have to kind of give some recovery period so maybe not have a session straight after or maybe take well, a day off or the best you can do is do like look up singing warm-ups if you haven't done any singing stuff but just like doing your scales and um when you're there unless it's like going for broke death and dying screaming grenade being on fire yeah uh you can theater project um, like if you're doing call outs like grenade, uh, keep it at a at a theater projection and not actually scream and go shrill grenade like like you would in real yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Because when you go shrill, your it, it rubs the folds that much harder and is that much Ugh. harder on your voice. So like keep it open and it feels open in your throat as well. And then afterwards, like there's no substitute for vocal recovery. Shut up. Just shut up for <laughs> shut up. Don't talk to anyone. Don't do anything. Just shut up for like at least an hour. Um, for for us, when we have multiple sessions in a day, there's also the travel time. But we're like, if you do like a 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., um, it's like, well, I'm not starting sooner than two. You better shut the hell up for those <laughs> that one hour that you get because that's all you get. Um, and afterwards, like, I mean, the whole the the entire VO industry, I think, is keeping um, what is it? Natural medicinals alive. Um, it's a tea company that makes uh, this thing called Throat Coat, which has um, slippery elm in it. Oh, nice! Like if you get if you get throat related products, like um, like vocal drops or whatever, it's all just slippery elm. Um, but Throat Coat tea kind of tastes a bit like licorice, but it's it's tolerable even if you don't like licorice. Um, it's called Throat Coat. I buy it in bulk off of Amazon. Any good studio has those tea packets ready and waiting. I bring them with me. There's also um, what I call black tar honey, but it's not. It's a uh, loquat is a it's a 
Chinese fruit, and um, oh, right. it's intended as a cough syrup. It's this, it's this black, very heavy on the menthol syrup. You put that in a tea and pair that with a throw coat and, and shut up for an hour or two, and you can get up and work again. But, I mean, even that's all magic potion stuff, but even that has a finite limit. Because yeah. it's like, it, again, like it's no different than if you worked really hard as an athlete and then you put like tiger balm on your muscles or something. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to like magically fix them. No, it, it's it's a Band-Aid to like get you to push through, but you're still worn out. Yeah. Em- emotionally, physically, your throat's still tired. It'll get you through the end of the day. So like you have you, you have to be your own best advocate and pace yourself and just be kind to your be kind to yourself because no one else will be. People are thrilled to work you like a horse. <laughs> yeah. Till you're dead. Yeah. Especially in the games industry as well. And uh, well, just like just in general, like um especially especially when everyone is there to make money off of you, agents, managers, um, casting, whatever, everything is an opportunity for people to make money via you, but you have to understand you're a finite resource. So like something that I've really had to understand in the last few years is is when to say no to things. And that must be really hard, right? It's really difficult to get to that point. I didn't say no to anything at the beginning, but now, like, um, like I, I have, st- I feel stupidly like I rearranged travel plans for a callback because I got a callback for um a cart, a Cartoon Network show. Oh wow! And then I go, and I was so like, I was my my agents convinced me. I don't fault my agents because again, like, I could have said no, but I didn't really think to say no. Yeah. Um. So they're like, no, it's a big deal. It's a callback and it's with the producers and it's a run through and you're really close. And I get there and it's like me and like 10 or 11 other heavyweight women, like like champions of VO big deal women. And it's just another audition. And I'm like, I paid like $1,000 in rescheduling airfare and yeah, wow. hotel fees for this. Nah, man. Nah. That's not on, is it? It's not cool. Well, but... um. But like I talked about it with another actor friend of mine. He's like, agents will be like, oh, yeah, you have to go. This is a great opportunity for you. When they say that, they mean that's a great opportunity Gee, for today. us <laughs> if you get this job. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it's a great opportunity for you if I get any and every job. And diminishing returns, like in anything, is a real concept. You're a human being and you have limits. And also, you, if you planned a vacation or things, you deserve to go on that and just be like, oh, well, that's an opportunity that I'm missing that someone else will get. Um, and you, you shouldn't beat yourself up for it, especially if you have to like rearrange your life or pay extra fees or whatever. Like that's, that's just like nonsense math to me. Well, so yeah. I've gotten much better at saying no. Or also like, like I mentioned earlier, when you're judging the script, it comes out. Like if you think the script is stupid, if you don't agree with it morally or ethically, it's going to come out in your read anyway. So you're wasting everyone's time. Yeah, if you don't want to be there properly, then... Yeah, if you're bothering with the audition or the job and you show up anyway, you're an asshole because yeah. you already don't like it. So I've I've skipped out on auditions where I just, like, I don't agree with the writing. Like, I've gotten auditions where I think these female characters are being treated poorly. It's misogynistic. I don't agree with it. They're all being written as vapid. Like, I won't do it because I... And because I can feel I'm already judging it and being like, well, that's it. You're already annoyed at it. So there's no reason for you to go in. Yeah, absolutely. The second I get annoyed with it, I'm like, I'm I'm not doing this because I'm going to waste everyone's time. And like kudos, just because I'm not comfortable with something doesn't mean that everyone will be uncomfortable with it. Like people make things work all the time. That's great. I'm sure I've done things that other people are not comfortable with. Yeah. Well, it's always going to happen, you know? Yeah. So you just, you have to be, just be honest with yourself and, uh, 
how do I put this? Like, it's not just being honest with yourself because everyone else, again, is, is writing on you. Like when you're, when you're booked for a job or listened to for a job, there is the expectation that if you are hired, you're going to give it 200%. Yeah. And if you're not able to give it 200% because of your feelings or opinions or whatever, or you have something better to do that you feel better to do, be honest about it with yourself and, and thus with them. And it's okay. It's so like, yeah, a big takeaway for me in the last few years is it's okay to say no. Yeah, and that seems to be a struggle for a lot of people, especially when they're starting out anyway, because they feel like they have to say yes to everything, like you said. Yeah, so. yeah, I was saying yes to everything, everything, because I was because my want was to be desperate to work. Yes. Uh, and then I just over time, when I you know, like found my 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 niche and my rhythm and what was working for me, what people were hiring me for, like there's a great um uh, like again on my website under my um how to become a voice actor, there's a link to um Juan. Bagnell, who's a um a local casting director oh, he's and he, awesome yeah he did um he did a podcast with someone where he talked about actors when they start out are like i can do everything and it's like no precious you want to do yeah. everything but you have you have limits of what you can do just as a human being like little little bits of your essence of what make you you are what gravitate people towards you and will get you jobs for things. Yeah, but it's, it's the bits of you that already exist, not bits of you that will never be. <laughs> you have to accept what you can do. I mean, I you know, no matter how much I might want to, I can't do the voice of an eight-year-old girl. It's just exactly. Not I was just going to say, I will never be, I will never be a smooth-talking sports announcer. It's just not what I do. <laughs> it's not do you me. Be? <laughs> right, right. But like, but but that, that's the thing. Like that's what that's like you're saying when you start and you say yes to everything. You're chasing money and jobs. Yeah. And you're not chasing what you like. It's always sounds hippy dippy, but it's really important to just like be spiritually in tune with yourself. Of what is my purpose? What do I enjoy doing? What is what is what serves me the best as a human being? Yeah, and then magically it that that vibration like resonates with the uh, with other people who are uh, witnessing you work, listening to your auditions, paying attention to you on social media, whatever, and they're like, you know what, I really want to work with that person because you're putting it out there and you're not trying really hard to be something you're not. Yeah, and I think that's it as well. Like impressions is not a good thing either, right? Most of the time. Yes and no. So some of the best, most memorable performances in vo are really bad impressions of other people um yeah for example um seth green on family guy when he does chris dad that is his really terrible buffalo bill from silence of the lambs oh amazing <laughs> or um simpsons i'm never gonna remember but um it was like mo somebody's like maybe maybe Mo the bartenders are really bad De Niro or something like there's, ah, right, yeah. there's iconic stuff like that all over VO if you dig. And that works where if you're trying out a new voice or sound or, or personality and you're doing like your worst celebrity impression, it'll never be recognizable as that impression, but it's a new sound and it's a new character for you and you can, it's a good jumping off point. Yeah, exactly. That's why I say, cause a bad impression, no matter how bad it is, it's a way of seeing what you can unlock with your voice. Yeah. Right. So. But again, at, at that point, like you're not trying to be someone else. You're using something as a jumping off point and then just running away yeah. with it. As long as you're not trying to be that person, then that's fine. <laughs> no. Well, if you are, but it's so bad that it's something else. And people exactly. Hire you for it, that's fine. <laughs> Unrecognizably terrible. <laughs> what's, what's your worst impression that you've done? All of them. <laughs> All of them. All of All them. Of I'm not, actually, like, I'm surprised. I can't talk about it yet, but I recently got um, a gig for a 
celebrity voice match, which I never thought I would be, but then it makes sense because it's someone that like I impersonated a lot, and to like to annoy to annoy everyone else, but I always enjoyed it. But like I played like lots of rock band and guitar hero, and I was like, I think I'm doing a good job, and now I'm hired for it. So there you go. Well, there you go. That's proof right there. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> so it, that'll be cool, and I'll get to do that. Um, anybody with an accent. Like yeah. anybody with an accent, I'll try to do it and it'll be bad. And then I'll just ship that as a different character and it works. How's your English accent? Oh God, don't, don't put me on the spot. <laughs> it's so, what's actually funny is since, since the, the, the Scottish invasion in my life, I have booked, uh, at least one Scottish character wow. job, which is hilarious. Um, but I don't think I'll ever do it in front of the in-laws or anything. <laughs> no. Was it one of those stereotypical ones that really shouldn't be done that way if it's going to be real Scottish? Oh, it's even worse. It was for like, I want to say Japanese game company with an anime style girl. So they, they don't care. They just like wanted a sound and I gave them a sound and I did my best and I had fun with it and I don't care. Yeah. It's fair enough. I just, oh God, I was asked to do a Northern accent and, uh, Joe's all north, and I'm like, north. And he's like, oh, it was like painting him. him. Stop, stop. I'm like, I'm trying north. Oh, God, for your <laughs> Yeah, it seems to be like Americans find Southern English a lot easier to do than Northern English. I seem <laughs> to find. Because it becomes because it becomes the Beatles really quickly. If you're not paying <laughs> attention, it just dips into Liverpool. And it's like, oh, God, no. Like an, an Americanized version of Liverpool as well. Well, to be fair, any, I mean, bless your little hearts, but anytime a British person tries to do an American, they think they sound American. They don't. Oh, God, no, I don't even think, yeah. My American's terrible. Ever, any British who's like, oh, yeah, I'm great at American, attempts to come off as like this um, overbitey, uh, mid Atlantic, hmm. painful uh, <laughs> situation. It's like, it sounds very mid century and weird. Yeah, it's like a hybrid that's not really American at all. It's just yeah. TV or some sort of weird mix of what they've heard. Yeah, and we're just, well, we're just trying to do the Spice Girls. Like, we're <laughs> Excellent. So let's talk about the future of Frida Wolf then. Can you tell us much about what's coming up? Because I know obviously with NDAs and stuff, you might not be able to. No. Um, but I would, I've, I've done a lot of work that I'm very proud of this particular year um, that, of course, will not see the light of day until next year. Of course. Yeah. That's the way <laughs> and it And nobody works. will tell me. Uh, yeah. Or we'll look out for a tweet where you retweet. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I'm the, I'm the last to know that what I'm in is out. Um, well, we didn't talk about the park, but everybody should play the park. I, that, that I'm very proud of the park, not necessarily for me, but because the park was just an R and D project for Funcom where they took three months and a very skeleton, tiny crew to put together a, a demo for the company internally to see if they wanted it oh, nice. to use unreal. That's all. It was just an R and D project for unreal engine. And they were, and I got to be part of that. Uh, de- like they, they paid me while they were in demo mode. Um, because internally the company said, well, if we like the demo enough, we'll fund it to finish. Yeah. They made the park in seven months, I believe. That's pretty good. Seven. I mean, it, yeah. just, it, it plays phenomenal. The story, I think the writing is incredible. Um, and by the way, um, Joel Bylos's wife is a, um, psychotherapist, psychologist who works with social services wow. and children. But so yeah, like, that's pretty relevant. So, <laughs> and it's, and it's a psychological thriller. So I was, I was just dead impressed with his writing. And I was like, 
tell, you go home and you tell your wife she's a genius and you say thank you because wow. she heavily influenced and helped with the writing um, as well. I'm glad you brought it up because I was literally looking at it Wednesday morning and uh, I'm a big fan of like psychological and horror games and uh, I saw it and was like definitely bookmarking that to check out and now you've sold it even more to me. So I'm going to well, have to play it. You have to play as me, so sorry about it. Oh, well, maybe not then. Because no. <laughs> it's first-person first Lorraine. Ah, it changed my um, mind now. Voices of yours truly, so deal with it. So just be be in my body for a few hours. Enjoy that. Oh, that's a scary um, image. Well, you haven't played the game yet. Um, yeah, yeah, it's true. Scary game. So even that premise. It looks gorgeous. <laughs> it plays great. The sound and the music is... Simon Poole of Funcom is a badass. And he did all, he did, he actually does a few voices in it as well. He oh, does cool. some spooky voices. He did all the audio and the music, which is all like, they they won awards at like Norwegian game festivals. And I'm things. already throwing my money at it. It's, you it's should. Gonna happen. It's a it's great game. Happen. And it's just, it's just dead. Um, I'm, I'm so impressed and proud of it because uh, game companies tend to get very frivolous when they have blue sky periods that go on forever of like just dream just concept let's just play with ideas and mechanics and then the next thing you know they're underwater from too goddamn long in development uh not having made anything with a very clear vision yeah because they were too busy spinning their wheels which is especially frustrating to artists because artists never feel good about what they're doing if they have no direction it's just a waste of everyone's time um whereas with the park it was extremely very particular directives of this is the look, this is the direction, the end, we have to do this. Oh, and we only have three months to get our shit together for this demo that's sink or swim. Um, it, I mean, I want to say like one or two programmers, one designer, writer, one artist, one audio person. I mean, wow, this, it really it's, is a skeleton crew. Essentially an indie crew within a, within Funcom. And while the rest of Funcom is, you know, continuing to support the secret world and stuff. Um, and now like um, <clears throat> they announced Conan the next oh, cool. Conan game. So they're working on that as well. This tiny indie crew within Funcom got, had like had to put this thing together also to just like not embarrass themselves and then finish it off in seven months. That's really incredible to me, but they, they were so focused and direct about it because they had, they had to get it done. Funcom's like, this is not, you know, you think this is a fucking game? This is not a fucking game. <laughs> I mean, it this is, is but like, it, but it isn't, but no, we're making you one. This, right. You get all this time and that's all you get. Sorry about it. <laughs> and they and they did it. So I think I wish, I wish more game companies would be so harsh. Um, yeah. It also helps too because it's like the scope of the game is not huge. Like you, if you, if you are an asshole and you want to do a speed run, you could probably finish it in like an hour and a half. But it's one of those games where you should soak up. You should soak up the environment. It's too much obsession on time these and... days, though. People weighing up cost on how long a frigging game is, and it's not right. That I mean, that and onto itself is its own rant. Like I. Oh yeah. So when a game that I'm in comes out, I'm squatting on every Twitch stream and watching people's reactions. And I, for the park, uh, some people, some people were quantifying it based on jump scares, and they're like, "There wasn't that many jump scares. I'm gonna return it. It just wasn't very it doesn't scary." Doesn't make a horror game though. It's but no, it's not. It's not a jump scare horror game. It's it's the kind of game where people um, people freak themselves out more by anticipating being jumped at than actually being jumped at yeah and by the way like the people i saw were like it wasn't very scared we're jumping and screaming so <laughs> but, but it's it like, wasn't it's scary not, though right like, well it doesn't have like it doesn't have gore and like not traditional not traditional uh violence and gore no but it doesn't need that to be scary right 
but but when you're but when you're trying to quantify a game of like well what equals x amount of dollars like I, I retweeted something recently where someone like i think in a steam post is like this game is an awful piece of crap in the tw- in the 20 or 30 hours and we're like wait <laughs> so you played it for 20 30 hours yeah <laughs> uh, and you're still giving it a negative review okay so it wasn't worth my 20 or 30 hours oh my god <laughs> uh so yeah the, it, gamers are sometimes the worst to do anything for because they're so they're so ungrateful especially when they don't understand the the hardship involved in making yeah. anything any, like the the miracle of like like with like i don't like i don't even like shitting on films because it's a miracle that a film makes it out the door yeah, that it even gets produced and made right like, and i haven't made a film so who am i to say anything yeah uh so with games uh there is definitely this bizarre wave of entitlement in the gaming community where they're trying yeah. to quantify dollars into things like jump scares into things like hours played and replayability yeah. which is like well it's not that every experience is different and sometimes you can't quantify it in hours or like this annoying annoying thing with like it's just a walking simulator oh, like yeah. you little maggots would have died in the era of shit like king's quest yeah oh my god where where like yeah everything's a walking because simulator- it's an adventure game because you're there to like <laughs> or to like explore. oh my god like, how many how many kids now would when when all any of us had was mist yeah <laughs> you're like yeah. This is a walking simulator. It's really, basically, it's this game. You simulate walking through a house and clicking on stuff. And there's like puzzles and mysteries. But I mean, you're just like walking around. That could be uh, like a million uh, games now, though. Like a lot of games are just doing something because that's what the game is. Tasks. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Like busy work. Yeah. Well, but... that's why it always comes down to like, go kill these rats. Why do I have to kill these rats? Because if we don't make you kill these rats, you'll complain that you didn't have something to do for 15 minutes. Yeah, or you didn't know how to fight something that was much bigger than you because you didn't fight anything before that. <laughs> yeah, so like, I, I'm proud of the park for all those reasons because it says, fuck your standards in all those ways and just has this very, very crystallized, specific experience that they wanted you to have. And yeah. I feel like they delivered on that. And we don't have... Th- there are games that try to be too too generalist. Yeah. Um, to bombard you with with sensory and um, and and fill up your time so that you can later complain about the twenty or thirty hours you put in and how much you hated it. <laughs> or there are other games where like, no, we're going to give you a very specific it, specific gel together experience. And sorry if it doesn't take up more than two hours of your life, but we we really tried. Well, that's it. I mean, I, I'm one of my before I go on too much of a tangent. One of my favorite games of all time is Resident Evil Two, mm-hmm. and. You know, this is back in PS1 games where, I mean, I could easily do that game when I got good at it. It was an hour and 15 minutes. And it doesn't have to be 40 plus to 100 hours to be a full game. Do you know what I mean? It just, it, uh, I get really defensive about games, though, in general. So. If you play a game for less than, like, 20 or 30 hours, man, what the fuck are you doing paying more than $10 for that shit? $10... A ten dollar game should be like twenty hours. If it's like more like forty hours, then maybe I'll pay forty dollars. But like anyway, I don't have time to play forty hour games anymore. <laughs> like <laughs> I like the shorter games. At least I can finish one. <laughs> yeah, but people have the, like, well, I w- I want the potential of playing. Like you know what? I will throw money for the rest of my life at Amanita Studios. Yeah. Out of I believe they're out of Prague, Czech Republic. The the guys who did um, Samarost and Machinarium and Botanicula. Ah, oh, Machinarium's awesome. Just like just shut up and take my money because they 
they do these insane, the most gorgeous, gorgeously drawn, gorgeously uh, sound design, gorgeous music. Um, uh, I don't know if they still do, but for a long time they had Thomas Dvorak was both like they had two Thomas Dvorak's. One was their composer, one was the sound designer, but they're two people. It was very bizarre. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, like the most, most beautiful storybook, intimate, enthralling experiences and if you want to call it a clicking simulator fine but it, it just I, I i lose myself in those games they're such beautiful otherworldly universes and they can take my money anytime and they're not that long sorry whatever that's what games are about they're just you know uh, anyway i'm not gonna go too far on that to go back video games! <laughs> exactly video games rule so back to the park, I'm obviously very excited about it and I know what the premise is, but for the benefit of our listeners, just give us a brief overview of what your main character is and why she's doing what she's doing. So you play as me. I am Lorraine. Lorraine is a single mom who is at this amusement park and she loses her kid and the game is you looking for your kid. Sorry about it if you get really annoyed with me yelling, Callum! But um, <laughs> it's not going to be actually... a heavy rain thing, is it? Jason! <laughs> well yeah it's it's a it's a game mechanic it it um i think you right click if you're on pc or whatever the equivalent is on console and you call out um the kid's name and that's how uh if you get lost and where you should be going next it'll you know it'll direct you okay cool um and also what's cool is like also i had i had to do so many takes of an of how i would say things with intensity because based on like where you're at with the game um, or what your your stress level is, it'll be a different, more strangled, or more calm version of those callouts, which is cool. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's reactive and dynamic, which is nice, well mm-hmm. thought out. Um, so you play as Lorraine, and you're going through this spooky ass amusement park looking for your kid. And while you're doing it, again, sorry, not sorry, you have to listen to me talk to myself a lot because I tell you the story of the park and the story of my relationship with my kid. And uh, ultimately, I don't think this is a spoiler because Joel's talked about it. So like, so like, skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to listen to this because you could construe it as a spoiler. But Joel's talked about it in interviews. It's very the, – um, the prime inspiration for this game is postnatal depression or postpartum depression, um, which is a topic that usually doesn't get discussed until some celebrity mother – succumbs to it and has to go through therapy and medication and whatever but it's a very real very relatable for anybody who's been through it i haven't um i have friends who have spiraled into pretty terrible depression after having kids um and it does make for a horror show because mm. your hormones wreak havoc on your body anyway like men don't know it's i mean it's it's bad enough regulating your hormones um your your whole reproductive system is just a monster and it rules everything in your life from acne to hair growth to yeah, over regardless your of whether you want kids or not <laughs> no it's just it's like it's there being an asshole all the time i yell at mine constantly um <laughs> uh like like me like i was tweeting about this the other day so like i i i have starting to get after 33 i was starting to get this incredibly awful um hormonal acne like crazy cystic deep deep cystic acne along my jawline and hairline never had and that is that is very specifically hormonal yeah um and it was because i was on the wrong birth control and my i was on the wrong dosage for me um so it's just like fine-tuning stuff like and now i have no acne it's that simple so when women are pregnant like very commonly women will start balding 
and losing their hair. Yeah. And of course there's never mind mood swings, but like acne. So like that's just what's happening superficially. So imagine psychologically. So postpartum depression afterwards, um, everything's supposed to be great and wonderful. And you have this tiny new life that's, that's in you and your partner's lives and whatever. And just, it's all so warm and fuzzy, but sometimes women feel empty and dead inside and they feel nothing. Um, there becomes like a spiraling paranoia of not bonding with your child. Yeah. Um, there can be, there can be spiraling paranoia where you think your child is out to get you just like out to ruin your life and, and take away the attention or whatever. Like you can, you can really go mad in every definition and every direction because your brain chemistry is just wreaking havoc. And that's with... it. It's screwed, isn't it? It's just all over the place. Yeah. And it's not like you can't correct it with um, positive thinking. <laughs> yoga. This is your your brain chemistry is being is being completely drowned in your body chemistry yeah and it's not as simple as these people out there who is like oh i'd never think that of course i wouldn't think about about my child and it's like you don't have a choice like that's not how yeah. it works <laughs> yeah so um so as a result because it because there are these expectations when you're a new when you're a new mother you're expected to basically be the holy virgin mother mary where everything is wonderful and you're surrounded in a glow of your own placenta ooze and everything's perfect <laughs> um and everything's hunky-dory right what um, image <laughs> well, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to crawl around in a sack of my own making. Um this is why I'm not a parent. Uh if you don't experience all those expected uh feelings towards your your child and your life and whatever, it also creates like this deep sense of shame yeah, and you guilt. bury it, which makes it worse cuz you got to talk about if you're if you're going through any kind of depression, um shame thrives on secrecy. Mm. And thrives on on self judgment, and the 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 harder you sit on it and make it not known what you're going through, the worse it gets. In like scientifically, invariably, one to one proportionally, you will make it worse. Yeah. Um. So, Lorraine, uh, suffers from postpartum and uh talks about it in in detail, but without necessarily naming it. Um. Because surprise, most of us who don't have um, degrees in medicine don't know what the hell we're going through until it's too late yeah until we have to go to a doctor and something's very wrong so I, I just thought it was so fascinating that joel picked let's make a game about postpartum what um but he joel has two daughters um and he has a great relationship with his wife and as i mentioned his wife is um a psychotherapist yeah uh, so when she works with, and I believe she, like she works in, in social work with children, so I'm sure she comes home and talks about it. So, um, that and his own relationship with his daughters just kind of inspired him to put this game together. So it's, it's so, it's so refreshing and incredible to get to do a game with a story and an intent that well thought out versus, um, and nothing, nothing, obviously like nothing against things that are lighter and more frivolous, oh, no, more short term yeah. fun. Like it's just like with films or with, with literature, we need variety. Yeah, of course you do. We, we desperately need variety. We can't have all or nothing in any direction, but it was just like, it's very rare to get, um, a game script that wants to go that deep into a real world problem. Because also oh, yeah, like course, we yeah. typically use, we typically use games for escapism as well right oh um, yeah a lot of people just don't want to think about real stuff yeah but postpartum is cool because i think it's it's not postpartum is so cool and sexy um because it's not well discussed and it's not again 
you have to wait for a celebrity to say, I, I had postpartum and because it happened to me, it's important now. So let's talk about it for a week. <laughs> and then everybody forgets again. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, too true. Um, Scary so that, true. So that, I mean, that's not really like the biggest spoiler, but I think people who go in totally blind don't necessarily pick up on that. There are There are clues, like physical clues in the environment, actually that will hint and explain at that. And also like in, in Lorraine's own um, dialogue, she just talks about just the, the strain, the sheer strain on human will of parenting. Um, But if you don't read into it, you're just like, Oh my God, it's scary. Spooky. It's so dark. (laughs) Uh." So um, that's another one of those games that I like that you, you can read into it and think about it as deeply or not deeply as you want it it's not it's really not well, forced I'm probably gonna think extra deep now so yeah no this is like <laughs> like for me for me as a gamer and a nerd even if i wasn't the protagonist i would still be digging this deep into it because i found it so interesting yeah definitely but you're also welcome to play it just because you want to be spooked out like you have to play the like promise me you have to play with the lights off and headphones on i i still have to get up the courage to play it by myself (laughs) well go all the way it's worth it it's again it's not like it's not a long game that's true but it might be a long time without sleep (laughs) maybe but i think i think the work that the environment artist put in is worth every every uh, ounce of you peeing yourself yeah man headphones make a huge difference as well yeah i've thought many times that the sound was actually in the room outside of the headphones (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you should wear yeah. headphones. Uh, the sound is phenomenal, and the music is fantastic. I'm just so and so impressed with Simon Poole's work. Um, yeah. I mean, without and, being too much of a pro audio guy, as in like pro for audio, um, wearing headphones changes everything. Like any game is so much better in headphones. Well, you, there's no there's no substitute for immersion, is there? Nope. And boy, do you get immersed. I mean, that's why like audio is becoming such an important topic and concept in vr because oh, if yeah. you have audio in vr you're not really there now all of a sudden everyone's like oh binaural yeah now you see yeah okay well. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you care now you care no where were we before we've been here the whole time bro what now you want our help whatever Get out of my office no no don't because we want to actually make the most of you caring <laughs> yeah it's nice it's nice that vr is actually vr I, I, you and i both know vr is making much more leaps and bounds to work with audio than yeah. any other medium because yeah. it's necessary. Like if you're if you're deaf and your world is soundless, it's not going to make a difference to you, and that's okay. If you're but if you're a hearing person, like ev- things are off if the sound is off in your in your real world. Yeah. Like blind when you're like, I think as well. you, say what? Blind people especially as well. I mean, you talk about deaf people, blind people, it makes a huge difference. Oh yeah, well yeah, because like so like you you me normal people. Even even if you're not an audio, if you're like, oh man, my ear's plugged up, I better go get that drained or whatever. Yeah. Like it it's off and it's weird because because sounds are distorted and muffled to you and you're like, my world is wrong. Yeah, something's not right. Yeah. So if you're in something as immersive as VR, your world is wrong <laughs> if it's not tuned right. Yeah, exactly. So go play the park. Yes, definitely. I'm gonna be playing it. And uh it came out very recently, didn't it? It, they they smartly put it out. Well, it came out, I don't know what, maybe it was like a port situation or a certification situation, but they put it out on PC for Halloween weekend, which is brilliant. Oh, okay. Right. So that was last year, and then it's been rolling out slowly on consoles um, this year. I saw, it, I saw it on PS4 Wednesday morning, but it could be out for a while. 
So um, I I think it might have been like a port issue because again, you know, such a tiny crew made it in the first place, and they only could make it like for PC quickly. Yeah. So maybe it's like now that that it's made it's made some revenue in PC, they're like, okay, now we can take time and effort and money and port it to other things. So, but as far as I know, people have been enjoying it on on um, on console as well. So like now I'm getting the like you, I'm getting delayed reaction from friends. Be like, oh, dude, I didn't know you were in the park and I played it. Awesome. Like, well cool welcome to last year <laughs> yeah welcome to 2015 yeah but i won't begrudge people who play on console like i'm 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 older and i never really made the jump to console so i still play everything on pc so i'm the one that gets to wait extra long for pc ports so it's fine we're fair. yeah i mean i try to be versatile and i do play on pc sometimes but the problem is as well with it being an audio pc i i feel like i don't want to kind of gam it up with games because it's mm. purely for audio so then I that's stick what to you console, get extra so. drives for bro yeah, but also I, I'd end up just getting a controller and making it like a console anyway. You can. It depends. Like, I don't... I mean, also, like, if you want the big screen experience... Yeah, that'd be cool. By all means. But then sit in your living room with the lights off. Yes, it's got to be done with horror games. Yep. Yep. It's just finding the right time where I'm not so much of a wuss. <laughs> Late at night, right before bed. Yeah, that's the best time. No, maybe maybe if you're... if you're, I've seen, like... um. Uh, Barak, who everybody in audio knows, um, she, bless her, she played Twitch, and she's like, I would never play this if you weren't my friend. <laughs> and she recorded herself. She couldn't finish the game. And she, just for the record, she psyched herself out. She's like, no, no, I'm not going there. There was, a like, a black electronic cable on the ground, and she was so convinced it was going to move and yeah. jump and bite her. Yeah, you start doing all the that. Game. Yeah. She quit the game over an environment piece. Wow. There was no audio. There was nothing to indicate anything. She just wound herself up so tight. There. <laughs> it was just it was just like it would it could have just been a rock. And she would have been like, nope, done. I've done that in games though where I've just seen something and just the idea that anything could be there freaks me out. Even though there's nothing there. I'm just like it like one of the worst things like is uh the top of stairwells or a corner. Jesus ah. Christ, a corridor corner where I'm just like, something's gonna come around, something's gonna come around the corner, something's gonna be around the corner. Uh, I don't want to go there. <laughs> See, what's interesting is like, so you're talking about like, those are the moments that stick out for you as being like where you get your jollies as far as, as the fear factor. Yeah. And then the people who I was watching play the park who were like, this is garbage. They were actually like tallying uh, jump, jump, jump scares with payoffs or like they're telling the amount of times that there actually was something at the top of the scares, stairs yeah, or around yeah. a corner. And if it wasn't more than five, they were like, this is crap. I am scared 90% of the time where nothing's happening more than I am. <laughs> Are you scared right now? Yeah. <laughs> this must well, be horrifying. No, not right now, but <laughs> in a game, like a horror game, I'm scared most of the time for nothing because of the ambience or the way it's set it up or just that my own psychology behind it is is making me afraid of what's going to happen so the, the park hype is warranted you will be so scared i am so excited yeah yeah can I'll... you record it i want to watch now <laughs> i might twitch it please please <laughs> i love that's, it i've watched tempting. so many twitch maybe, streams maybe maybe i'll twitch it tomorrow i've watched so many <laughs> twitch streams and so many people also like recorded lovingly people would excerpt their own best jump scares and post on twitter and i would find it and be like yes it would also be like one of those things where I have pseudo company, so I'll feel less scared. I like I'll be no, talking you to Twitch. Hit your friend in the face. Maybe and you I'll should. Be like on Twitch, just sitting there going, "Oh, I've got someone to talk to." Sort of. So this makes it better, right? No, you're gonna <laughs> flail and hit them in the face with the remote. 
No, I meant like uh, the, the Twitch crowd watching that oh, may okay. or may not be there. They can't uh, help you. Well, no, but, you know, having someone to talk to would make it like slightly better ish. You think? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, probably not. <laughs> so just to lighten the mood. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something you can play with me in it now. If not, Killer Instinct as Mira, who's just yelling and screaming and being undead and um, bleeding people out, which is also something I enjoy in real life. Um, and then I wish I could talk about the stuff that I'm doing this year, but I, uh, I'll say I'm going to have a really fun year next year for sure. Yeah, definitely. And we're looking forward to it. Awesome. So I've got a fun question to finish off, just to lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> okay. If, if you could hang out with anyone, alive or dead, real or fictional, who would it be? Uh, currently, I have this obsession with um, Genesis P. Orridge of Psychic TV and Throbbing Gristle. And this is something I came over just like the last couple days um, through Twitter. Somebody retweeted... Um, P. Origins, uh, just like a clip to someone's making, I think, a new little short about the pandogen. Uh, where do I even start? So, uh, if you are over 40, you know who I'm talking about. And if you're not, you don't. Um, so, Psychic TV and Throbbing Gristle were some of the bands that basically invented the genre of industrial music. Um, okay. A lot of which comes from making your own synths and using sound design in music and making um, ambient, heavy, ambient, heavy on the mood and theme music um, and very experimental kind of avant-garde music. So yeah, like yeah. industrial doesn't necessarily mean like stompy goth stuff that all derived from the originators of like true uh, industrial. Yeah. True industrial, which is like, like late seventies, early eighties stuff. Um, and Peorage um, was doing all those original analog techniques, like um cutting up and piecing back together back in the older days before digital everything was on analog <laughs> so like remaking um tapes with just like a la a la like the beatles on strawberry fields and all that stuff yeah um just like old school remixing before ableton where you had to physically cut up pieces of sound that you wanted tape them back together loop them and feed them in reverse put distortion on it whatever and make a completely unique and new sound and that's completely unique and new music and um, I have to use the plural because they are of neither gender. Uh, Peorge was born a man and then um, married his second spouse. And then they embarked on this thing called the Pangine um, right, okay. Project, which is like instead of so androgen and andro androgyny means no gender. Yeah. They decided to um, embark on like the cut up. The cut up is a thing you can wiki. It's like the, the concept of um, you can force creativity by cutting up and re-editing and remixing whatever you are doing in whatever medium medium you work in and that's and it's a technique if you're stuck especially right so they decided to cut up each other and themselves so they decided to become each other's as much as much as possible so he and his wife um both had like multitudes of of plastic cosmetic surgeries to their faces and anatomies to resemble each other as much as as possible and it might sound kind of bizarre and otherworldly but it's like oh if you listen listen to any there's multiple um talks and interviews on youtube and i've just been absorbing them and i wish i could just like pick their brain for um two minutes uh any any creative person will immediately recognize um the just like the buzzing the buzzing artistic energy just just emanating from this person yeah. um the way Piorge just talks about waste not, want not, 
everything you do and everything you have is useful to you. Don't discard your own gifts. Don't discard your own, your own ideas, thoughts, and energies. And if you do, you're only making a disservice to yourself. Um, especially, um, in terms of sound design, everything is useful. All, all you have to do is like be responsible and accountable for curating what you're doing with taste and editing, but don't like throw every idea you have away because it's not good enough for somebody else. It has just has to be good enough for you. Um, they talk a lot about how, um, and this is important to me because I was raised wrong. Like I was, I was, my father was an actor and he raised me with the entirely wrong belief of, of like, um, because he, he didn't pursue acting later on in his life. Um, so he was kind of like burned out and bitter about it. And so he, he imposed this really terrible philosophy on me of if you're not a genius or a prodigy at something, don't even bother because there's already thousands, millions of people out there who are better than you ever will be. I've had a, I've had a reverse engineer and fight that my whole life with, lots of self-work and therapy and having other people get in my face all the time about stop waiting for permission, which is again, something that George preaches so loudly. Like don't wait for anyone to give you permission to be creative and express yourself in any capacity. That is garbage. Cause again, no one's going to give you a certificate that you're eligible or that you're ready. You have to declare yourself. I'm here. Listen to me. This is what I have to contribute get out of my way. Like no one, no one is going to give you permission. You have to give it to yourself first. Um, that makes perfect sense. Right. And also um, like there's an amazing talk. It's like a, maybe a two hour talk that I'm going to chew through over time that PRH gave in 2015. And um, at a, I think a college in San Francisco, but they're like, again, like, like just like any, uh, it's so enthralling. If you're, if you're a creative and you're open um, to listening how other creatives work. And that's something that drives you. Like it, that's something that I always get off on of just like listening to how, what other people's processes are. Yeah. Uh, everything PRH has to say is just so goddamn important. Um, just talking about, so like working back to what I'm saying, like my, my father's very bad philosophy of like, if you're not a genius, you should quit. PRH and that, and that talk I'm mentioning, um, talks about how there's, there's no, there's no value in being technically perfect because anybody can achieve technical perfection. You can be a technically perfect pianist or musician of any kind or technically perfect singer. But if your specific personality and your specific soul, your spirituality, your opinion, your, your life source and your life experiences are not being poured into it, then what makes you different from anybody else who's yeah. also technically perfect? For me as an actor and particularly as a voice actor, because you don't see my face, you don't see my body language. All I have to offer is the emotions coming out of my voice. I get hired very often to be, like I've said, like that, going back to the whole, you can't be everything. You can't be everything and anything because you, you are always stuck being yourself. So what happens in voice acting is that you get hired to be aspects of yourself that are all already existing that you essentially expand upon and focus fire. Right. And you're like, you know, I'm just going to be, the rambunctious, excitable part of myself now, or I'm just going to be the depressed, negative version of myself now, or whatever. It's still you. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're never not you. Any actor is never not themselves. You're just accessing different parts of your personality, and then making that the full personality for yeah, the time exactly. that you're working. You're being that version of you right now. Right, but you have to be brave enough to do that. So if you listen to any any um, speech or interview that PR gives, it's just like like I swear everything he says makes me want to cry. It just, it just makes me want to weep. <laughs> it just makes me want to weep so much because he, he, well, excuse me, they, 
um, just put out all of the thoughts that all creatives have, but are either too shy, embarrassed, or afraid to say or follow through with. Yeah. And Pior's is just like, who's stopping you? You. <laughs> so just like use all your gifts, use all your all your resources, do do what you have with with um do what you can with what you have and you're unstoppable and then you end up like creating a genre of music. So but they they came from a school of of dadaism that embraces chaos and nonsense to make new uh logical threads. That's like that dadaism and all that that's like a whole philosophy that you can wiki on and again like the cut up is a that's whole That's pretty much the earth, right? <laughs> yeah. But like it has to be but because we're we're dumb humans, like we need to articulate and label all these things because yeah. we all just get lost in our again, like as creatives, um, it takes a lot of discipline to be creative. I like I I use Twitter um, a lot one because as a freelancer, I don't have a water cooler, so I don't have coworkers, and yeah. especially as a voice actor, it's a pretty lonely gig. You very rarely get to be in a room with other actors, and I don't like it if my world is just talking to people who are paying me. So I spent a lot of time on Twitter. Would. Right. Well, like, but that very easily can happen if you just sink into your, your routine of doing your job and then you don't do anything to feed yourself. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time on Twitter um, observing, talking to, talking with um, other artists of all kinds, whether they're, they're 2D artists, concept artists, modelers, animators, people in the game industry, people in the comics industry, people who are concept artists, people who work in visual effects, in film and all that. All of all of our processes and energies derive from the same origin. You just have to be brave enough. You have to be brave enough to presume that you have value <laughs> and that other people will value you and value your opinions, your feelings, and what you have to say. And that all gets translated in whatever your medium is, whether it's drawing or acting or singing. So, like again, like Peorge's talks are just... They're just so mind-blowing because you would think, like you're saying, well, isn't that how the world works? Yeah, but we, we just do what we do. We, we buy our groceries and pay our bills and go to work. And if you get lost in that vacuum, you, you stop practicing the things that make you uniquely you. So you have to live a life outside of your routines. And you have oh, yeah, to, um, you like the whole, like, you follow any of, like, the comic book artists and stuff that I follow on Twitter. And they're, they'll all be... Like because of the internet, we all get questions from students now. Yeah. We all get. Yeah, even um, I get them. <laughs> yeah, well, but but you 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 have now industry experience. You're still a leg up on somebody who's just starting or in school or thinking about it. And we have the accessibility of the internet, so people like. Unfortunately, there's also the illusion of like, well, if I ask a person, I'll get a shortcut. There are no shortcuts. Yeah. And uh, one of the points Piorge makes is just like as you can you can waste your life being technically technically proficient but if you never know who you are and what turns you on you'll never stand out it's not about and it's not about becoming famous or being known it's no. just about being you yeah being you you get hired for being you in this life like yeah, he's got some very wise stuff to say this guy well them, them them yeah right it trips me up too i'm not used to using the plural pronoun it's a particular like so people who feel like they are of neither gender will ask for the the royal we pronoun um mm. in, Peorge's situation in particular, it, like it all, it's, again, it makes me want to weep because it's such a it's such a gorgeous, beautiful sentiment. Um, his wife since passed very set, like very young of of cancer, like totally oh, no. tragic. Yeah, um, but it like to me, it it just again, uh, uh, it just it makes <laughs> me totally 
sink in a pile of my own self-misery. Um, they unconditionally loved each other so much that their uh, their philosophy became, it's not about just uniting as one life. We want to become the same person. And in, in the context of their relationship, it totally made sense. So they it, and with both of them being performance artists, it made sense for them to go to what would be the conventional, considered the conventional extreme of like cosmetic surgery, dressing the same, same haircuts, um, trying to match anatomy and facial structure as much as possible. Yeah. But like she died. One of them died. So Peoridge, who is the survivor and like bless them, is continuing to I mean, he's uh there in their sixties now and I say, like still them. So yeah, and still like and still busting ass, like giving talks at and lectures and things, um, and and producing music and being creative and all that stuff, which is like what I want to do. Like I want to die in the booth. I yeah, like, man. Yeah. I, I'm, I have no plans to retire. I've I've plans to save money and be <laughs> reasonable. Yeah, yeah. I want to be. I want to be fiscally <laughs> responsible. I, I I'm going to be an adult about it, but I'm going to be working till I die is the goal like you can't because this isn't a job for me this is my this is my self-expression well, that's it, right because as can you as you can tell for the two hours we've been going and if i don't talk about myself i'll just die <laughs> i'll just that's your art, you know yeah so um yeah man p orage just, just go on you like it's all available on youtube and, and all the sentiments just make me want to weep Ugh. 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 <laughs> um, and i also i always always um that's on like my how to be a voice actor but also i always push um amanda palmer Amanda Palmer's book, um, The Art of Asking. Yeah. Because that's that's another one where she just talks about her experience. Because she was, um, she had the first Kickstarter to hit a million dollars, particularly a million dollars in music. Wow. And she got, and afterwards she was getting courted by all these press people and interviews and the public at large. And they're like, how do you get so much, how did you, like, uh, like anytime, like Anita Sarkeesian, especially women, but anybody who gets a large amount of money through donations to do their art automatically gets called a scam artist. Yeah. And, and they're interrogated by like, how did you scam people into giving you money? And in every situation, like Amanda Palmer's book is so brilliant because it's, it's a universal concept. Like I have Amanda Palmer is a cabaret punk rock artist, singer, songwriter. I make so many of your and my sound design homeboy bros read it and they always thank me <laughs> because she just talks about universal truths because people because ultimately it came from she got sick of people asking her how'd you how'd you get so many people to just give you money and she's like look I came up being extreme like she was and no surprise she's a freaking art college student right yeah. sweet performance art big surprise which like when you when you're willing to do performance art by the way even if it's not your jam even if you don't get it Putting yourself out there in in that vulnerable public space is freaking brave. Yeah, that is man. hard. I don't think that I is hard do work. That. I I I don't do it because it's scary. <laughs> so like Amanda Palmer comes from a performance performance theater performance art background, where she's used to being like, "This is this is my deal. This is my gig. Witness me." That that I mean that is performance art where you're just like, "Witness me" as loud as possible. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Um, and then she she worked really hard. She built a following on constant touring and newsletters and, and internet outreach and um, interacting with fans so that her fans felt like they had a relationship with her. Meanwhile, she's always just like trying to hone in and make more and more precise and find what her vision is. Yeah. And as a result, like she doesn't make populist music. I think pop should stand for populist and not popular because pop music is not necessarily popular, but it is populist. It is 
and nothing wrong with pop music, but the goal of pop music is to get the largest demographic, right? To be the most pleasing to the most amount of people. And as a result, it has the most vague definition. Yeah, it's very generic. And the most, the most ambivalent expression, which is why you can have a song like, no offense, Justin Bieber, but you can say, baby, baby, and have like 20, 30% of a song be baby because it's not saying anything. Yeah, there's no message. Right, and that's okay. But again, it's not a specific vision. Amanda Palmer, P. Orridge, all these people who come from um, a performance art or um, art college, and a surprise again, like P. Orridge, again, another art college student who came from graphics and performance, blah, 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 blah. When you come from a base where your your job has been to just express yourself, what comes out, and the, I mean, this is all threaded. I'm just connecting dots now. I mean, yeah. this is what I'm talking about, like with the park. When you make some, when you are expressing yourself in the in like the most precise, clearest, almost one dimensional vision of like this is what I have to say and that's it, and it is not to please anyone else. It's just me. Your audience will find you, and it might not be the biggest audience, but they will be loyal and dedicated, and and supportive throughout your career if you continue to be absolutely true and open with who you are to yourself. As long as you don't change and become something else that you weren't or aren't right or maybe you were pretending before well yeah maybe there's that yeah so now your audience is confused so she's like look i've been the loudest version of me since day one and i have not wavered from just being 100 percent honest with myself and with my audience that's the only thing that gets me through the day so it's partly that and also like again peorge talks about this in in their talks you can get this from any artist you follow on twitter where they're like you aren't creative because you're born that way. Being creative is discipline. It's waking up in the morning and being like, my ass is in the chair and drawing at this time. Yeah. For me, it's my ass is in the booth and auditioning at this time and getting it done at this time. That is my discipline. That is how I am, quote unquote, creative. <laughs> that makes sense. It's, it's regimental. So, yeah, man, like, you're welcome. You're welcome. Listen to Peoria's talk for five minutes <laughs> and see if you don't want to cry. Is all I'm saying. And if you could, and then like, I looked, I mean, I looked through the YouTube comments. I knew what I was going to get. It's the same yeah, kind of thing yeah, if you yeah. get YouTube comments on the park. So you get YouTube comments of like, oh, so weird. What a wanker. It's so extreme and gross. Like whether they're like commenting on the pa Panda totally Giant English, project. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whether they're commenting on the Panda Giant. Uh, oh, you'll like him. He's a mank or they're a mank. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> the Panda Giant project or um, how they talk about. Or it's just like if, if you're a creative you'll get it and people who aren't creatives i i don't think that they're like maybe lacking anything in their brain i think they're probably too afraid to be so self-expressive yeah and they've got too much real life guidelines just stopping them yeah i if like here's the difference between artists and everyone else everyone else is usually working very hard to please other people you might yeah. disagree with me but you dress and wear your hair a certain way because of who you work for and who you're trying to please your manager or your corporate head or your customers you're doing everything for them for their expectations and what their pleasure is you think yeah. that is direct that is also seeping into the rest of your life that's directing your whole life oh yeah the end even when you're off the clock because you're still maintaining your appearance well, yeah, you're not going to change attitude. your haircut on a night well, I mean, some people do, but you know. Yeah, I mean? your your lifestyle, your vacations—it's all revolving around pleasing other people. When you're an artist, you say fuck all that, and you do what you want first, and you dress and speak and live your life however you want, 
and then you figure out the rest later and then people come to you sounds better to me well it's a bit it's hard right well, yeah because, of course it is because when because when you're when you when you subject and subjugate yourself to other people it's a it's a more guaranteed steady paycheck yeah uh, but like this is also like this is also something i could talk at length about like the difference between commercial artists and fine artists a commercial like i consider myself a commercial artist I work for other people. I am hired to bring other people's visions to reality. Yeah, I, sure. I did not come up with the writing. I didn't come up with the story. I didn't come up with the setting. It, but but I, as a commercial artist, am a contributor. So I'm being I'm being creative on their behalf. A yeah. fine artist is completely self-generated and doesn't care what anybody else has to say about it. Yeah, or whether it makes money or whether it does anything. Right. And the successful fine artists are the ones who I think I think delve a little bit into commercial art as well even if they don't want to admit it and if they don't want to admit it, it's fine i see you i see what you do yeah Su- successful well you have to though because su- that's and, it like, you have to do commercial artistry again like some like amanda palmer amanda palmer talks about this as well in the book um that you do a com like you can be a fine artist to your little heart's content but if you're not indulging any marketing or um any variables of sales where like if you're like no i only sell my original pieces and i don't sell prints like yeah. uh you're limiting yourself so it's stuff like stuff like that plays into it so well that's my, my long-winded questions here <laughs> answer to your question but like i i mean what i never <laughs> that stuff never, well that stuff never stops being important and fascinating no, it's to me highly relevant it, for anyone in the creative field yeah because it drives my whole existence so yeah genesis peorge and and anything they say is like is like pearls of wisdom unto the earth in a huge huge way honestly because it, it can get you can get so stuck up your own ass of um of what you do and how you do it and then maybe you get shy and embarrassed to talk about it and they're like nah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just talk about everything let's do it yeah awesome well i can honestly say it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you again i hope you've enjoyed your time with us again absolutely i never shut up <laughs> well you know it makes for a good podcast you know i'm sure people are, are still there somewhere some somewhere they they probably, they probably peed though i mean we peed let's be real yeah i'd probably leave the break in for everyone else <laughs> probably like all right group group pee break you know and another thing if you're a voice actor and i've like i just lead in with this because sometimes i can tell the good seasoned directors who've been doing this for a long time every hour at the top of the hour on the hour say free to go pee and i'm like what and we're just like thoroughbred horses like we're just doing our jobs <laughs> yeah not paying attention to our bodies. The second it's the hour and someone says, all right, free to go take a break, go pre. I'm like, what? Oh God, I'm dying. I like it, but barely make it. Cause we're chugging water the whole time. <laughs> as soon as you think about it, you're just like, exactly. what? Oh God, cool. what? Ah, go. <laughs> I'll go as long as we need to, even if I'm doing the dance. So like I'm doing the dance before I realize it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you're working, you're working, you know, it's like yeah. driving. So I, now I never notice when driving and then someone's like, Oh, we need to pee. Can we stop? And I'm like, Oh hell yeah, yeah, we're stopping. <laughs> right, because you weren't you just, you weren't engaged in that yeah. way. So uh, now I advocate for myself. I'll check the cell phone and be like, it's an hour, and I'll just like say, hey, hey, I'm gonna go because if I don't go, I'm gonna start dancing. <laughs> and then it's then it's bad. Then it's TikTok time. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you get anything from this podcast, peeing is important, guys. Yeah, and I think that's a good note to end on. You know, remember the importance <laughs> of the pee. <laughs> it is. You don't want no, you don't want no kidney damage. Oh my god. Uh Roger Craig Smith, who's an actor who works uh, a ton. Legend. Yeah, we had him on the show before. Well, he used to work on he used to live in Orange County. He used to live oh, like nice. twenty minutes more north of me. Oh, cool. But like we we've worked together and related. 
And I was like, hey, I've been told to talk to you because you you also used to commit from Orange County. He's like, ha, 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 yeah, no. And we both talk, we talked about bladder damage because we're both convinced that we have, we have succumbed to bladder damage because we were both, it happened to both of us where less and less often we could make it in one go in the mornings. Yeah. Where you start, you start memorizing all the places on the side of the road where you can stop. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so go to the bathroom, guys. Listen, listen to your heart. There's some truth bombs right there. Yep. Well, thanks again, Frida. You take care of yourself and we're going to look forward to having you on here again, hopefully. Yay! Thank Woo! you. See ya. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Sound Architect podcast. We really appreciate that. And we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Dehumanizer 2 by the guys at Krotos. Fantastic piece of software. And we hope that you join us again soon.